What's up, Jeff? Trey? It's been a been a day in the Barker household here, Trey. Uh-oh, what's going on? No, no school in Hutto ISD for three days. I mean, how good do these kids have it now, man? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of this week. Not only do they have Halloween off tomorrow, they have the next day off too. I think that's I don't know about Halloween Day or the day or Halloween Eve, but the day after Halloween, I think, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that that one does. Yeah, you don't really need the day of Halloween off. I mean, you can't, I mean, he gets out of school at three. Like you can't trick or treat until, you know, the sun starts going down anyway. So yeah. but yeah, you know, you know how those days are, Trey, when you're trying to trying to get stuff. Two two parents in there, you would think it'd be easy. Both of us, Jasmine's home as well, but uh tough, tough getting stuff done. We've got some uh, a floor issue getting taken care of. And, you know, it's just like, obviously all those things all always happen on the same day. <laughs> all on the same day. It's like a perfect storm. And and you're right about this, by the way. I feel like my kids get way more days off during the year than than I ever did. Like and I have no, like, three and some four-day weekends. Like, for some, I don't know, are y'all, are y'all using the three-day, or are they taking three days off? Are those teacher work days, those three days? So it's called, I actually just looked it up. It's like a staff development day. So okay. yeah, basically. And then I think they they just wrapped up some like parent-teacher conferences and stuff maybe or something like that. So I I, I don't know. I mean, hey, I'm, I'm, all for, I'm all for the teachers getting a break from those kids too. But I mean, three days is a lot, man. Yeah, it is. Well, my kids get two days off next Monday and Tuesday. So I'll be in your situation next week where... Probably this probably the same same idea, right? I, I guess so, but I think it would have been a better idea to do it uh today, tomorrow, and Wednesday, though, and then take away one of the other uh parent or teacher work days or whatever you want to call it, or just give the the teachers a day off. Be like, go go have fun. Go enjoy right. the food for a day or something. Seriously. But, but uh like it, it makes less sense next week because you're so close to the Thanksgiving holiday at that point. And obviously you get I think it's Wednesday, Thursday, Friday off in Leander ISD. Well, Dude, back in the day, like, like you, you know, you have two out of three school weeks that are essentially two or three day, uh, two or three day weeks for the kids. Yeah, and and uh, it's funny you bring up Thanksgiving. Like back back in LA, we were one of like the only couple districts in the entire LA area. It might it might be different now, but that had the entire week of Thanksgiving off. Sweet. That was, that was always, which honestly makes sense. Like yeah. even from a work standpoint, obviously, I mean, you and I don't have traditional jobs where it's like, you know, oh, we can just like, you know, especially with a, a, a Friday UT football game and shows and different kind of things. It's like, oh, we can't just like not do the news that day. So I don't really think about it from that standpoint much, much at all anymore. But yeah, it's funny with people that have regular, like kind of traditional nine to five jobs. It's like just just get like, what are you going to come in on Monday and then everyone's going to be like, I'm traveling and they're going to take a half day Wednesday. It's like, just take the whole damn week off. Yeah. You and I work on the Friday after Thanksgiving. Thanks. Yeah. Texas. We yes. may be working on, th- we may be working on Thanksgiving next year, depending on how the SEC decides to schedule Texas and A&M. So was that, I, I used to go when we would visit family here and I was a kid, but I don't remember. Was that always on Thanksgiving day or was it the day after? There were some years, and it was after AM had received a punishment from the NCAA, and I believe they couldn't be on television for a couple of years, that the game was on Fridays. Okay. But typically, that was a Thursday game. And oh, I always thought it fit really nicely 
on Thursdays. I went to a fair number of those too, but there were some years that I missed because we were hanging out with the family, but it was still a fun part of the Thanksgiving tradition, much like Cowboys fans have that game as Texas and A&M. And I feel like that was usually a night game too. Like I'm remembering it as a night game, but I don't have a, a Kevin Dunn sort of memory with these things. But yeah, Texas and A&M on Thanksgiving Day, I would have no issues with them moving that game back to that date. I would rather have it on the Thursday than the Friday. Yeah, I think, I mean, hey, just go ahead and do, just go ahead and do Thanksgiving like that. But yeah, maybe they do it because, or maybe they would move it back because of Cowboys or something like that. Not one to put it around the same time, but I don't know. I think if you're, you know, if you're planning on going, going to the UT game Thursday or Friday, I don't think you care what day it is. Yeah, no, that's true. And like the NFL now, I feel like if it was if if it used to be on at night, the Texas Texas A and M game, it was because the NFL only had two games on during Thanksgiving Day, and so they were trying to avoid that. But the NFL does three games on Thanksgiving now, so that doesn't even really matter anymore. And the NFL has shown uh, how little it cares for how the NCAA is going to schedule things come playoff time once they expand the playoffs. Is the N- uh, NFL has basically already said we're we are going to be scheduling our Saturday games still. Oh, they don't give a shit at all. Not yeah. even just about the college football, the college football conflict there potentially with the playoff, but they're doing Christmas Day game. They're not just doing one Christmas Day game. I think there's like Christmas is on a Monday this year. Mm-hmm. I think there's like three NFL games. There's at least two. But they really don't give a damn about that. Like, they, the NBA always had that domain. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. I see what you're saying there. No, you're, yeah, you're right. Be like, there'd be like a quintuple header of an NBA games, and that would be Christmas, you know. And obviously, that'll probably they'll probably happen again. It could just be because of where it's been out with the NFL cycle, you know, where, yeah. where yeah, Christmas has fallen lately. Christmas, you're right. Christmas is on a Monday, and you are correct. There are three games. <laughs> on that Monday, starting in the middle of the day, too. Raiders-Chiefs, so your Raiders uh, get their asses kicked by the Chiefs, although who knows, the Chiefs haven't looked very good this year. I'm, I'm, I'm just happy I have plans tonight, Trey. Monday night football, I got, I'm got. i going to be at the UT basketball exhibition against St. Ed's, uh, stream a little bit of the Rangers game on the phone, maybe listen to it on the radio while I'm there, and then just, just hope the Raiders don't just get completely embarrassed. I need Jared Goff to go bananas this game. I need Amon Ross St. Brown to be good, although he's dealing with some sort of mystery illness, unfortunately. And I that's, Is that like a new thing? Like with Bijan now, the whole like, I mean, then Mahomes got sick and they at least reported it that he was yeah. sick. Thankfully, I immediately went and took seven in the hook on Denver. Smart. And it was snowing all day in that one too. Yeah, although they they kind of over-exaggerated. This is what weather people do. They they will give you worst-case scenario on bad conditions, and then usually it falls short, and then it's like, well, we, we gave you worst-case scenario just so you could be totally prepared, and then it was well, like a very thin layer on the ground, which I think is good for, for the yeah. game. As long as it is no games, like just the general aesthetic, it's not good for the game itself. No, and the only way you get a real snow game is if it's actually snowing during the game or it's been like yeah. a blizzard because – like you said, they had they showed the, the video where it looked like it was completely covered in snow, but I'm sure they just had something, some machine come in and just push it all off to the side. Exactly. <laughs> and then it looked like most, I don't know how much of that game you saw, but it didn't look like much of it even stuck around after that. No, no, it was uh, it was a pretty thin layer. But uh, the Chiefs, I'm not even going to the Taylor Swift place that everybody else wants to go. I don't care about that. 
The Chiefs need another weapon outside of Travis Kelsey in their passing attack right now. Like, I know they got it done without that dude other than Kelsey last year. Teams have started to catch up to that, and they're letting Kelsey beat them, but nobody else is in part because there's a bunch of scrubs surrounding Pat Mahomes right now. And so when he's a little bit under the weather, they're in deep trouble. And so I don't know if they try and go out and find a receiver before the trade deadline, which I believe is maybe tomorrow, as a matter of fact. Yeah, it is tomorrow. And like I don't know if this is something else to uh, to help out with that passing attack. I don't think the Chiefs are even making it as far as the Super Bowl this year. They may fall short of the AFC Championship game. Yeah, it's reload, find another really good weapon, and then they'll be right right back at it next year. Yeah, it's it, it's one of those scenarios where you get by for so long with like, oh, we found. I mean, I know they drafted a Clyde Edwards-Alaire in the first round and a couple years ago, and that didn't work out. But then you find a, you know, <clears throat> couple diamonds in the rough. Like even at running back, like you find um, also at running back, you find Pacheco. Um, and you develop some other guys like that around your stars, but then, yeah, you lose a Tyree kill and you lose other, I mean, even, even a Juju, like they would probably kill to have a Juju right now, but what they really need is a, you know, take the top off the defense guy, like even just a poor man's Tyree kill and see the <laughs> Kadarius Tony comment there from Jake. But I mean, he's one where I think they probably thought that's what he was going to be, but yeah, they could totally use another really solid possession guy to take some of the attention off Kelsey. And then, and then just a dude too, who can, like get open downfield, make a big play, you know? Hey, they need a they need a Xavier worthy, I guess. Oh, yeah, that would be quite the weapon for Pat Mahomes to get maybe at the back end of the first round in next year's draft, if that's how things fall. It, it's actually funny you say that because we were we were talking last night about um different guys' draft stocks from for Texas, like is Kevondre Sweat potentially a first round pick? Where does Xavier go? What happens if Quinn leaves? And then we brought up AD Mitchell. And PFF put out a, a mock draft, and I don't know. I mean, I know they they do a good job, and they know football well, but I don't know where they're at in the mock draft space. But I just found it interesting. They put it out on, like, I think it was October 3rd, so earlier this month, and they had A.D. Mitchell going 31 to the Chiefs. I thought that was, I thought that was interesting. I was like, when you think about it, he's had a really good season, and what else did he need to prove coming to Texas besides maybe – that he can stay healthy. I mean, he's played his best in all the big games when he because he was healthy in all the big games. I just wonder if how he conducts himself when the ball is either not clearly coming his way or there's not really a chance of the ball coming his way. I wonder if that hurts his draft stock at all. And also how we've seen him disappear at times from games. The blocking obviously leaves a lot to be desired, but if you're a really good wide receiver, you can probably get, if you're looked at as a potential number one, you could probably get away with that. Although some teams may not like adding that to the arsenal because that is a really bad look. The first couple of times you just choose not to block and your teammate gets blown up as a result. I don't know. Maybe he is a first round draft pick. I've given up on accurately predicting how a wide receiver is going to translate to the NFL. I've just missed on it far too many times in the last 10 to 15 years now, like there was a string of Oklahoma state wide receivers that I was convinced guys were going to go on to be studs at the next level. Many of whom were first round draft picks. Like Justin Blackman is an example of that. Yeah. One of the woods brothers Rashawn, Deshaun woods. I forget, uh, I forget which woods brother It was the early part of the two thousands. He was a part of that program. Like this guy is going to be a complete freak at the next level. And then Des Bryant, I was like, yeah, Des is all right. 
And then Des ends up being the best of the bunch when it was all said and done. Like, that's just Oklahoma State. You take other guys into account. Like, I always thought Texas Roy Williams is going to be uh, a good receiver at the NFL level. But there's a couple of Texas receivers over time that I thought might have a chance to stick. And one of the few who has is uh, Marquise Goodwin. Like, even, even Jordan Shipley. And I realized that injuries were a part of the problem here. I thought Jordan Shipley was going to be a great receiver. And maybe, and, and I don't know, maybe back then they just weren't like pre Wes Welker and kind of what Brady and some of them were doing with the slot receivers. Maybe we're like, he's, and I feel the same way about Vince, you know, maybe those, those guys were a couple years too early to, to their own party in a way with their skill set, And cause now you're like, I mean, Jordan Shipley. Yeah. That dude would have been like, that dude would have been awesome in the slot if they used him the right way. Um, and they just really didn't. But yeah, sometimes like the, those are always fascinating. Even RG3, like I know the game was kind of changing at that time. And he, his rookie year, that probably had a, a role in, in some of that, the way that, you know, we've ushered in more of just accepting that these guys are runners. And that also with the way quarterbacks are developed nowadays, they're also, most of them are also really good passers too. Um, you know, I mean, they're, they're just more well-rounded for guys that get slapped with the running quarterback label, I think. Sure. Um, but yeah, he was one guy or another guy that was just way early to the party, I think. I'm glad you mentioned pro football focus because Kevin Dunn and I were talking about this a little bit earlier today, and he is apparently going to hit me with some pro football focus grades from Texas BYU on Saturday, and I'm not allowed to look at those, so no spoiler alerts. I was like, dang, I'd love to, t- <laughs> I'd love to know those right now. <laughs> I mean, who, who would you think off the top of your head were the, were, were the guys who would grade the highest? Look, or, or people can let you know on the side, but who is doing all the grading for pro football focus? Like they grade every player of every game and they typically have those grades ready to go by Sunday or Monday. Like, I think we need to start slapping who is, who is grading each of these teams or each of these guys from game to game at the college level, because it could be some jabroni who has no business grading out any single position group, much less everybody on the field. Like, where is that coming from? Are you using AI to do it? Like, I need to know well, what, how these grades are, are being gotten to because people are putting a lot of stock into these things. And quite frankly, sometimes just as selfishly as I watch Texas, I also feel like I have a pretty good handle on who was good and who was not great. And sometimes those grades are completely at odds with what I see. Well, I think a lot. I'm wrong. There's a good chance that I'm wrong some of the time. But there's also times where I'm pretty certain what I saw was correct, and pro football focus goes against that. Yeah, I wonder if it's just like a throw, like some stats that they just pull and then kind of just throw into like one big, you know, depending on the position group, it's different stats that kind of just get all added up together into like one sort of overall grade or overall score. I have no idea. I would, yeah, I'd be curious to find that out too. But what what about um? I mean, we can do some grades for the Longhorns right now. Okay. What you, you think about Malik Murphy, Trey? I'm sure you, I'm sure you talked about this already in the last hour. Um, we didn't do specific grades. I, you know, I thought Malik was okay for his first game. Yeah. Um, I didn't really have an issue with how Malik Murphy played. You know, obviously the two turnovers were pretty painful to watch in the moment. When you go back and rewatch those plays, you realize that they weren't completely on him. Although I fault him more for the interception, I guess, well, than I do the yeah. fumble because that's that's just a, you know, I know it was a quick snap that nobody was expecting. It was a high snap. He did a good job of grabbing the ball. 
he just had to eat the sack there. I mean, he threw that ball into into a void, <laughs> and the void happened to be occupied by a BYU defensive player. And there really there was a Texas receiver within five to ten yards, but that the Texas receiver was not going towards the ball, so it was just a bad throw. The fumble, I put less on him. He had two yeah. teammates whiff on blocks there, and you saw the play that they were trying to set up, and it had a chance to be a really good play, too, if he could have gotten the ball out to, I believe it was Xavier Worthy, uh, who was uh, running a, a yo-yo route there. But overall, I thought he did he did uh, okay with the game plan that he was given. My issue with the offense on Saturday, Jeff, is that Steve Sarkeesian, in an attempt to get his quarterback comfortable, just... He went complete simple jack with the first 10 plays of the game. Throwing it nine out of the first 10 plays. Technically, one of those nine throws was a run because it was a backward lateral to Savion Red, but that's inexcusable to me to have a new quarterback out there like that, to have a running back who was one of the tops in the country in ter- terms of yardage gains. And in your attempt to like make him more comfortable with the position, you put too much on his shoulders early on. Like, I think there's a better balance to be struck there. And it's surprising and disappointing to me that Steve Sarkeesian couldn't figure that out. I actually, I I feel the exact opposite Mm. about that first script. I mean, I see where you're coming from on like, did we need to throw it nine out of 10 times? Maybe that was a bit much, but I actually loved the idea. I mean, I said on here last week, like don't go overly conservative and maybe they could have run more of some more of their creative type run plays instead of just up the gut, up the gut. But I actually love getting him like just giving him the opportunity early. And I don't think the plays that they were calling were plays that were necessarily going to get him in trouble. Like, I don't like, I would have disagreed if it was like, okay, let's uh, throw, let's throw a quick pass on first down and then chuck it deep. And then like, you know, four verts or whatever, like the next play. But I, I kind of like the little rhythm throws and the idea of what Sark was trying to do. Yeah, could you have – I mean, you didn't know how long the, you know, that drive was going to go too. But I thought that actually was a decent little drive to get him going. And, and Sark sort of explained it after the game as, as just that, like trying to show that, hey, we have confidence in you. And he said even him, himself back in the day when he was making some of his first early starts that he, he wanted coaches to let him get in that rhythm early. And, and not not be in a situation where it's like, hey, my first pass of the game is on third and nine from our, our own 27, you know, or something like that. So so I actually, I like the game plan early, um, definitely on that, that first opening script. But yeah, could you have mixed in? I see where you're coming from. Could you have mixed in a few more run plays? Sure. And then from Malik's standpoint, I would probably just, given the circumstances, give him a B, B plus, because I think the way that he bounced back was definitely A worthy. Um, I mean, he was, I think, 13 of 16 after the two turnovers. Um, I don't know exactly how many yards in that span, but two touchdowns, didn't turn it over in the entire second half. The red zone issues, we can touch on that and get into that more later. Um, Outside of the fumble, I don't think he really deserves much blame for the red zone issues. I mean, they essentially removed him. I mean, he didn't touch the ball on on the goal line stand, at least from the goal line standpoint, the first one where they got stopped on the fourth down where, they ran a little tricky play where if Jay Witt gets a better block down, they probably score that touchdown to Jatavion Sanders. Yeah. Um, you know, he didn't, they, they, they ran code red with Savion red for, you know, right into the back of the defense three times with, I think maybe, or maybe two times with one Cedric Baxter handoff mixed in there. So yeah, you know, I, um, overall I thought he played pretty well and, um, 
but I don't know if you had something else to add on, or, you know, on the, the play calling or the way that they, they started out trying to ease him in. Well, look, I heard what Sark said in the last hour, as a matter of fact, because uh, BK played the cut from Sark after the game where he's talking about how he used to like to get into a rhythm and he liked how the coach was show him confidence. And in that same yeah. breath, he's like, we're not going to go ultra conservative first 10 plays. It's like, well, you did the opposite, man. There are two extremes here. And you, so you're can, just saying, you just want a little more balance with regards to a little bit more balance. And yeah, third and third and nine is not a great time to make that first throw. You know, it also isn't a great situation to put your young experience inexperienced quarterback in a situation where he's having to throw it nine out of the first 10 times. Like I would also argue that that runs the risk of derailing what he's able to do throughout the course of a game, especially when you have a running back that has become so reliant for you. I don't know what his, opposition is to Jonathan Brooks this year. Like even in the preseason when he named CJ Baxter, the starter it was a bit of a head scratcher. And I get it. CJ Baxter has come in and done everything asked of him since being an early enrollee, or I forget if he's an early enrollee or a guy who came in at the start of the summer, like that's fine. But Jonathan Brooks, you know, you don't operate on ten tenure. You want to operate on a meritocracy, but Jonathan Brooks has done everything asked of him since setting foot on campus and made the most out of those opportunities too. Whether you're talking about mop up time last year, the bowl game, or when he finally got that opportunity this year. And it's like, he's still having to prove himself to Steve Sarkeesian eight games into the season. Because if I would have told you last Monday, Jeff, that Jonathan Brooks averaged six, more than six yards a carry against BYU, but he fell short of a hundred yards. You would assume that Texas was playing from behind and was having to throw the football more. But that's not the case. Jonathan Brooks just got the ball 15, 16 times, whatever it was, and had 98 yards on the ground. Uh, Trey, we talked a little bit last week about the most important player on this Texas offense. After last week, and given these circumstances right now, like I, I don't think it's close. It, it's Jonathan Brooks. Yeah. Because we were arguing, or not arguing, but basically going back and forth about could it be, you know, playing devil's advocate on like, could it be Xavier Worthy? And and I think you could still make a, you know, a reasonable argument for him. But Agreed. right now, man, it, it maybe it's Xavier Worthy if Quinn Ewers is healthy and you have an experienced quarterback back there. It's Jonathan Brooks right now. I mean, as much as I didn't have an issue like you did with the opening script and all that kind of stuff, he is your most important <clears throat> and right now your most consistent and most effective player on the offensive side of the ball. Like, I don't think it's, I don't think it's even remotely close. He had 98 yards. And like you said, if you give him the ball more, that's well over a hundred average six yards per carry. He had 40 receiving yards on there. And even like going back to the Houston game, some of those little like third and eights where they dump it off to him and he makes a little move and wiggles out of a tackle and falls forward. Like there are a few that are immediately popping my mind from that UH game for some reason, like he bails them out all the time. I mean, we could argue, you know, till we're blue in the face about the uh, touchdown one where I think I'm like, that was one where I'm like, and, and maybe it was tough from where I was looking at it, but I didn't think it was that obvious that it was clear and indisputable that, that there was no green thing. Yeah. Was it that obvious? Uh, no, it, it wasn't. It, it was slight, but it did look like he stepped out of bounds. But I was just surprised that it got overturned because I've lost my mind all season watching so many of these games where it's got to be clear and indisputable yeah. video evidence. And then they don't overturn it. Like, I feel like I see the most, you know, critical evidence that you need, not in this play, it's the opposite in this case. 
And then I see this one and I'm like, so what made that so obvious that you wanted, that you thought you could overturn it? You know? So anyway, he should have had a second touchdown in my opinion. And, you know, they tried to go back to him right after that play um, on the handoff right there when they came back out. And I think that was, I'm not making an excuse, but I think that was a rhythm thing. I don't think anybody was even thinking about when they were celebrating that that might get overturned. Probably. I don't know one asked Sark specifically about that, but I'm not sure that they were like totally ready. So I think he came back out and then ran a pretty predictable play call. Um, but John and Jonathan Brooks, like, you know, our sports director, Bob, who, you know, you know, Trey, like he, he, you know, I'm like, he, he brought up like, is it time to start talking about him potentially going to New York for the Heisman? If Texas, if the team's success continues to be what it is now, obviously if they lose two games, they're not going to invite a running back, especially if Bijan didn't go last year. But like, I think the difference now is, you know, Jonathan Brooks might have similar stats to Bijan when it's all said and done, who won the Doak Walker last year and didn't get invited to New York for the Heisman. Um, but, you know, he didn't, he played on an eight win football team. Jonathan Brooks might be playing on a conference championship football team. So to- totally agree with you about, about I'm him. I'm looking up Jonathan Brooks, 2023 stats, by the way, in real time, I, I thought he wasn't even close to the sideline. He, he was really close, if not on the sideline. And when they overturned it, I didn't have that big of an issue with it. And I agree with you, by the way, I didn't necessarily fault them trying to give it to Jonathan Brooks one more time right there, because you show faith in your best players, even if they don't always get it. Right. Now, Cause that, cause that's always the one later. I don't remember the formation that they used on that fourth down play. So I, uh, I can't go there necessarily, but we also saw another example of a, of a uh, goal to go situation where it was a yard or two out and they bring Byron Murphy and well, Tavondre Sweat back out there. And that, that, uh, that play does not work. I know it worked against Wyoming, BYU, whoever it was, but that play has consistently not worked now over the course of several games. It's time to go into a different direction. Yeah, I was, I was going to say exactly that. That's what the formation was. I don't know the exact, you know, what you would call it, but it was a pretty obvious run formation. Um, and then the one where they bring in Byron Murphy, which I, I agree with you, Trey. At this point, I'm kind of like, you got him as touchdown. Like that can be one that we, that, you know, that we go back to if we need it in a game late or maybe you're up two scores. But like in a game where you're really trying to put it away, I don't, I don't necessarily know that I, I agree with that. Yeah, so I'm just looking at the best quarterbacks in college football right now and the best running backs. By the way, congrats to Ollie Gordon from Oklahoma State. He's the leading rusher in college football right now. He overtook uh, Marcus Carroll from Georgia State for that lead with this last weekend's win for the Cowboys. Big game for them, obviously, this weekend. Playing one final bedlam against Oklahoma. Jonathan Brooks is fifth in the country right now in rushing yards, tied with the Marion Hampton from North Carolina at 923. So Ollie Gordon, as nice of a year as he's having, he's gonna fall well short of 2,000 yards. I almost feel like that's what it requires out of a running back now, either 2,000 yards rushing or just insane all-purpose stats. And no running backs have that right now. And the quarterbacks that you're talking about, yeah, include. Michael Penix Jr., who is your probably your front runner right now. Caleb Williams. Shador Sanders is still up there. Uh, Jaden Daniels has had a really good year throwing the football for LSU. Shador Sanders. I know. Drake, Drake May. Uh, Cam Ward for Washington State. Carson Beck is actually up there yardage-wise now. <laughs> his, uh, his 14 touchdowns, four interceptions. But it's probably those top four guys 
And actually, Bo Nixon's up there as well. So you probably get Michael Penix, Caleb Williams, either Daniels and Sanders, and then Bo Nix as the likely guys heading to New York for Heisman ceremonies. And it could be Penix, Williams, and uh, Bo Nix when it's all said and done. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I mean, it does it does matter year to year, and when there's that many quarterbacks, like you just mentioned, a bunch of quarterbacks, and and I always I'm always confused about like how many guys they decide to invite on a year-to-year basis. Like, have they just decided that now we're only inviting three guys? Like, is that basically what they've done? <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's the case most years. Now, I have to uh, stand corrected here based on the Vegas odds sent to me earlier today. The leader right now is Penix. J.J. McCarthy, who, of course, you can't forget about, and I unfortunately did. He has second-best odds right now. And according to this list, wait a second. Yeah, okay. Right. That's a good point. Is Brooks I'm, even on there right now? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. These odds is going on are right. They old, oh, old here we odds go. or something. Uh, the the best odds right now are Michael Penix, Marvin Harrison Jr., Bo Nix, JJ McCarthy, and Jaden Daniels. So Caleb Williams isn't even in the top seven right now, according to these rankings. I mean, the only way that he's the only way that he's going to get invited, I think, is if basically if <laughs> this isn't going to happen, but if SC beats Oregon, beats Washington, beats UCLA, and then goes to the Pac-12 championship and wins the Pac-12 championship, then they'd be what eleven and two. Yeah. And and honestly, I think I think he should still be invited. I mean. That that win on Saturday, Trey. It's just like another another win where you're like, just such an absolutely pathetic performance from the defense. I mean, he has to score fifty points to beat Cal. Like it's just, it's Cal just forty nine points on your defense. It's pathetic. Like I know that Alex Grinch may not be working with, you know, the eighty five Bears on that side of the ball, and they they need to build up their roster. But man, it's 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 it's, it's embarrassing. Like that can't happen. That cannot happen. Good thing. So in the top 15 Heisman candidates, according to these Vegas odds, Jonathan Brooks is nowhere on this list. Wow. Whereas guys like Shador Sanders, Sam Hartman, Kyle McCord, Drake May, Caleb Williams, Ray Corum, even Ollie Gordon, they are all on this list. Jonathan Brooks is not. And part of that is because he's kind of a reserved dude. But part of that also is his coach not doing him any favors in a game where he can really – stand out as a sort of bell cow and as a guy that this offense is geared around because you're dealing with an injury at the quarterback position. Uh, Jake, Jake makes a good point too. having one of those Heisman moments uh, this week. He says this week would be nice. I just think it's, yeah, that's a good point. It's got to happen at some point. Like you've got to have the, you know, uh, Ricky Heisman moment. And obviously that was a different era on the, the long touchdown run and all that. And you had however many yards in that game, but yeah, maybe that's what it's going to take is, a game where, you know, we can look at it and go, wow, backup quarterback in who didn't play well. And Jonathan Brooks just has a 280 all-purpose yard game and four touchdowns or something like that. Um, and then you can say, then everyone nationally will start talking about, well, he saved, they saved their playoff chances. He saved their big 12 title hopes, you know, got him to, um, or got them to the big 12 championship game. So I, Yeah. That's, that's a good point from Jake. It's probably going to take one of those just insane games where he just saves the entire season, essentially. Which, like you said, Trey, to your point about, about Sark, I don't know if his coach is going to allow that to happen with the way he calls the game. 
I can think of one time where Steve Sarkeesian realized that he had to lean on his running back in a game to win the game. Bama. And that was Bijan Robinson. Oh. What would have been, I think, yeah, I guess it would have been a sophomore year because that would have been Sark's first year with Bijan. It was at TCU. Casey Thompson may have been the starting quarterback for Texas that day. And he was having an off day or maybe he got hurt. I don't remember that specific. I do remember that he had to give the ball to Bijan somewhere between 30 and 40 times to win the game. And they did. I mean, they they it was truly a put the team on Bijan's shoulders performance. And it affected him for the next couple of games after that, too. I remember him not exactly looking right after that because he had to carry such a heavy load. And that's probably part of what Steve Sarkeesian is trying to avoid is riding your bell cow too hard because he got to see this up close and personal at Alabama and how Nick Saban has handled running backs up to a point. Now, he started splitting things up a little bit better over the last few years. But he realizes he doesn't want to do that to, to a guy that, that uh, could set him back and make it harder to win games over the next couple of games if you give the guy a ball, the ball too much in a given situation. But you have two to three good running backs right now where you can split those carries up a little bit more. And we saw him do that after he started giving Brooks the ball consistently. He gave him the ball two or three times and then brought C.J. Baxter in and gave C.J. Baxter the ball once or twice so on a third series of the game. That Bijan game, Trey, that was uh, that was the game where Gary Patterson after had the kind of snarky comment that, I don't know, wouldn't say went viral, but made made the rounds on social media and all that. And I can't remember exactly what it said, but it was basically Patterson said something to the point of like, I like that I'm not sure he would have done that or basically insinuating like he didn't think it was a good idea to give a guy the ball like that many times. And then, like you said, it kind of kind of played out like that the next couple of games where he didn't look right. The other game, too, was the that same season was against K-State, ironically enough, with the timing this week, was the Roshan Johnson game. Mm. Where the quarter, like, everyone was banged up. Horrible season, everyone's banged up. Like, and they just gave Roshan, he basically just did the uh, Rojo Cat, or the Rocat, whatever you want to call it. They ran Roshan out of the Wildcat, like, like, 28 or whatever times, probably 30 times. Um, so that was one that was kind of a non-traditional way of just, like, riding the running back. And that was essentially just a just get us the hell into the offseason type of game. Give us a little bit of momentum. And, I mean, that's that's a game that showed what Roshan's all about. I mean, you could look back as a couple of other moments, too, but that was a moment that probably made made NFL teams look and realize, wow, okay, there's, there's two NFL running backs on this team because I think that's the kind of toughness and grit that these NFL teams want to see, especially when you end up in a place like Chicago. You know, any NFL season, obviously, is long as hell. There's injuries, and you're trying to – Keep keep guys right, but yeah, for Roshan, that was a game that that I think put him really on the NFL radar. That was a crazy game because Texas fans had no expectations for that game. Yeah, it was just such a weird game where like it was. I remember it was like a gray, foggy day, yeah. and it, the game, to be honest, didn't really mean that much. Like we knew it didn't mean anything for the season because they didn't go to a bowl game. Um, regular season finale, it was just like it did get you the fifth win on the year though to get that yeah. close to the bowl game. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I guess it gives you the, yeah, I mean, Roshan obviously ended up playing a key role in what they did last year. So yeah. helps, helps from that standpoint, but, but yeah, you know, I mean, maybe Sark, Sark would probably hear all this and just be like these idiots. Like I'm, I'm playing the long game with it. You know, I'm trying to keep, trying to keep a guy fresh for the course of the year. But if there was a time to ride, to ride Brooks and even Baxter to an extent, you know, 
it would be it would be right now with a with a young quarterback and Trey. I mean, we'll we'll probably get into K State a little more at some point, but I mean, that's this this game, man, is like this could be the season right here. It really could, because and it's another example of playing a team at the right time or the wrong time. I think they played Alabama at the right time and they took advantage of it and played really well to their credit. This could be one where we look back and say, man, that was. That was tough when they had to play K-State. I mean, they are humming right now. The roller coaster ride of opinions on both Kansas State and Oklahoma State since the Friday before <laughs> Texas OU, it's just, I mean, it has gone up and down, up and down to the point where at the start of the year, a lot of people looked at this Kansas State game because K-State was looked at as one of the three or four best teams in the conference. You look at this game and say, this is one of the tougher games on the schedule for the Longhorns. And they lose in last-second fashion to Missouri, who wasn't ranked at the time. Now Missouri is ranked 12th or 13th, facing Georgia this weekend. And they lose that bizarre Friday night game before Texas OU at Oklahoma State, where Will Howard looked terrible. Yeah. As bad as he's looked since going back to his freshman year when he was forced into action because uh, Skylar Thompson was hurt again. Uh, but since then, Kansas State, that served as a, uh, a wake-up call for them, and they've started to play better on both sides of the ball, but they've also incorporated a quarterback rotation that has been really effective with the true freshman Avery Johnson, who can throw it a little bit, but is much better running the football right now, coming in to sub for Will Howard at times. Now, Avery Johnson wasn't actually that good last weekend, didn't need to be, though, as Kansas State did what Texas should have done to Houston the week before, winning that game something like 41 to nothing. Uh, this is a huge test for Texas right now. I think the defense should be up to the task, especially after the bounce-back effort against BYU on Saturday. I don't know about the offense right now, though. I don't because I don't know what to expect out of Steve Sarkeesian, the play caller. I have a feeling of what Steve Sarkeesian should do, and I know that at times this team can move the football down the field, but I also know... Once we get inside the 20, and even worse, when we get inside the 10 or the 5, who knows what's going to happen? Actually, a lot of people can probably guess what's going to happen, and that's Texas uh, in those drives without points on the board because that has happened far too often two of the last three games now. I mean, maybe it's picking the low-hanging fruit right now, but like it feels like that's just it feels like that's what this game is going to come down to. Because they're playing at Kansas State. Points are going to matter in this game. You're right. So kicking field goals in that situation is not the worst thing. Yeah, and then also, I mean, you're playing a Kansas State defense <laughs> that hasn't allowed a touchdown in two games. They're fresh off 41-0 and 41-3. to And again, mm. not that they were playing the greatest teams of all time there, but, you know, they were playing conference opponents. Uh, two of which, I think Texas has played one and, and is about to play the other. Um, after they play K-State. So it's like, you know, these are, you know, not world beaters, but these are real teams that they're that they're doing that against. And from an offensive standpoint, like I said, this is this is the season right here. It really feels like it. Not that they couldn't go to TCU and lose, or they couldn't, you know, have a slip up somewhere else or, you know, lose on the road at Iowa State, whatever it may be. But this is, you know, the, the Malik Murphy honeymoon is over. Like it's, it's, it's just done. I mean, if he does not play well early and this is a game where if he doesn't play well early and he makes those same mistakes, which I personally don't think he will, I think he got those out of his system and 
you know, they were just too, the interception, especially just a really stupid interception. But um, if he does that again, there's another fumble in the red zone, more goal line stops. Like, yeah, like, you know, it's, it, that's not going to end well for Texas against one, a defense that's, you know, one of the best that they've played all year. And then two against an offense that is playing their best football right now. Yeah, they are. It's uh, it's fitting that this is how things go down. You know you're going to get every team's best shot the rest of the way in the Big 12 because everybody wants to beat Texas that one final time. It's nice to get the BYU monkey off of our backs since this is our last chance to play them and our only chance to play them as conference foes. These games not, did not go nearly as poorly as the games a little bit more than a decade ago that still give Texas fans nightmares. So... This will be hopefully the lasting memory for Longhorn fans with BYU. A listless offense for BYU that was made to look even worse by an all-around effort by this Texas defense. Great on all three fronts. Forced turnovers, got tackles for losses, sacked the quarterback, pressured the quarterback, and made life a whole lot easier on this offense because this Texas offense... They scored four touchdowns on the day. That fifth touchdown, obviously, the Xavier-worthy punt return. Three of the four touchdowns that they scored were because they were given short fields by the Texas defense forcing a turnover. Once at the 39, once at the 26, and once somewhere around the five-yard line. With a young and experienced quarterback, you can talk about giving him a lot of throws early to make things a little bit easier for him. That's another way to make things easier for him is to give him – uh, a quick flip of the field starting in the opponent's territory. Because otherwise, Texas got the ball inside their own territory, I think most of the rest of the time that uh, they were starting on offense, and twice were they able to take the ball downfield to give themselves a chance to score a touchdown. Now, once they did so in the second quarter, they get it on the 25 after a touchback, and did a nice job of getting it down the field. Guess what they did in those 10 plays, Jeff? They ran it six times and passed it four. So I'm going to talk about balance, 60-40 one way or the other. That might be pretty good balance, depending on the drive. That's not to say you have to give the ball to the running back three out of every five times. Maybe you're passing it three out of every five, and sometimes you do it more or less. But nine out of ten is absurd. And the other time that they took the ball downfield ended in a uh, fourth and goal, I think, from the one where they uh, obviously didn't get into the end zone too. So this Texas offense with Malik Murphy at quarterback showed some signs but they also weren't great at sustaining drives throughout the afternoon either. That's not a concern against BYU, where you score a special teams touchdown, you force that many turnovers, you have that many short fields to work with. You don't expect those sorts of mistakes to be made by Kansas State right now, though, which is why you need to be on your A game this Saturday. Well, yeah, it's, it's funny you say that, Trey, about playing well around Malik Murphy, even if it wasn't necessarily on the offensive side of the ball. Because I do think on the offensive side, there were some plays where, like, there's some balls Xavier Worthy's got to come down with, man. Like, okay. I'm just, I'm, I'm going to say, like, for him to be really considered a true, you know, number one receiver, a Bolitnikov type of guy, which I don't think unless he goes crazy at the end of the year, he'll he'll really be a part of. He's There's some balls he's got to catch, man. Like, there were two or three in that game where I was like, okay, like, yeah, it was a tough catch. But if you're that dude that we think you are, and I think even he would probably agree with this, you got to come down with, Two, two of those three, and it came down with none of the three that I'm thinking of off the top of my head. Some of the – there were a couple on third down that were – yes, they were tough plays, but, you know, bounce out of his hands, whatever. 
Um, yeah, and then Jake Jake literally just wrote he should have caught that TD, which I didn't realize. I, I know I didn't realize until I watched it after because it was good defense. But there's some like that where it's like, man, you got to go up and make that play. Like even the AD Mitchell play, tough catch. I mean, again, a catch that he should make, a catch that a really good receiver like that should make. But credit him, he made the play on that. So offensively, as much as I'm saying they played well as a team around him, I think offensively they can still play a lot better around him. Um, they did run the ball well, obviously, and all that. But I think the receivers could help him out a little bit more. But yeah, my entire uh, story after the game for our show Saturday was just how balanced they were in all three phases. In all, in some facet of all three phases of the game, they made their quarterback's life, their young quarterback's life, a lot easier. They took the pressure off his shoulders, and you know whether it was the Brooks pick to really flip the field right after his pick, or the Michael Taft pick after one of the red zone stops down there. Um, two plays where you know, completely, you know, Malik Murphy could come back and take a deep breath and go back out there and just go play. But you said it, Trey, they're not going to, at least I don't think they're gonna be able to bail him out kind of like they did. And I almost hate using that phrase, but they really did bail him out. I mean, they bailed out the entire offense there too. And I don't think they're gonna be able to do that against Kansas state. Maybe though there'll be a couple of momentum changing plays here or there, but I mean, you're probably, you know, odds say you're not going to score a, t- a touchdown off a punt return again. Um, maybe you score a defensive touchdown. Maybe you find a way. But, yeah, maybe he holds on to it, um, you know, on the fumble. Or, you know, you just, some of those plays where they flip games even more against a better team. I mean, hell, we saw it against Houston. When you let a team kind of feel like they can believe and they can stay in a game like that, you give them a reason to believe even a team like that, probably on a similar level talent-wise and quality-wise as, as BYU, they can take advantage of that. So I don't I don't think he'll I don't think he'll get bailed out like that left and right. No, no, I agree with that. So uh views from the field, because you get to watch the game from a very unique perspective uh, most weeks. Have you gone to all the away games this year? Uh yeah, I've, I've been to every game so far. Are you going to every game the rest of the way? Like, will you be in Fort Worth and in Ames here in a couple of weeks? We'll be in Fort Worth. The Ames trip is is up in the air. Depends on if Texas is still a one-loss team at that point in time. Pretty much, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I don't want to give away all of our logistical secrets or whatever it may be. I mean, I think it would be basically a non-conversation, just a lock that we would be there if they were undefeated. Like, had they beaten OU and they end up undefeated in that game because at that point you're talking about a team that's that's potentially ranked number one in the country you know i mean i don't know they, they, they'd hop over georgia and michigan so you're probably talking about a team that's number three in the country but that's undefeated and has a case to be number one maybe receiving a few votes oh yeah um so i would say that that'll probably be the one game that we're uh that we're that we're not that we probably won't be at i mean that's a we were in des moines for the ncaa basketball tournament and that that's a hike, man. And then Ames is another, what, I think 40 minutes from central Des Moines. Yeah, I don't know how many direct flights there are from Austin to Des Moines. Like uh, maybe None. none. I, I, I know there are none. We went... Do, do you get a, a, a flight chartered? Is there a charter <laughs> flight that we can uh, schedule to help you guys wish, man. to Des Moines and not have to fly through Kansas City or O'Hare or something? Yeah, we did... Um, I think we did Dallas or Houston, maybe one of the ways, um, Dallas makes you know, sense. I, 
I feel like I miss the glory days of, of media here, Trey, or at least my side of the media where, you know, I, I wanted, I want my like experience to be like a 1970s or eighties baseball beat writer for a paper where you're just like on the plane, like smoking cigars with, with the coaches talking ball. Like they give like the, the little media space in the back and you're flying on the team plane. I mean, now it's like, you know, pulling teeth just to try to get a one-on-one with, you know, some of these teams sometimes. So Wade Boggs getting to the mile high club with some media relations lady in one of the bathrooms. <laughs> oh man. I have a, yeah, I've, I have some uh, professional mentors who are of that age where they traveled, not only traveled with the team, some of them for a long time traveled on the planes and just like the stories they have, man, of like, you know, even just like nothing like that crazy, but just, you know, poker games in the back and sitting and talking to managers and coaches and whatever, like, like that, that was the the glory days, but obviously can't do that nowadays with, you know, the amount of money that's in everything. And then of course with the social media makes everybody not want to do any of that. I was just about to say social media, I think has maybe ruined that more so than the money has, because you used to have to establish personal relationships back in the day and it made it, more difficult to be hypercritical of an individual in a given situation. And now any dick or Joe out there, I mean, shit, just listen to me most weeks can (laughs) say or do whatever they want to and not have to face the repercussions, not just of drawing the athlete's ire, but having to look that person face and face to face the next day or the next week. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, everybody has a platform, which in some ways is a good thing, but there's also the 1% of the population where you, you go online and you go, I don't know if that dipshit needs a platform. I don't, I don't know if, I don't know if we need to give that man a platform on X or that woman a platform on Facebook or whatever it may be. But yeah, it's completely a I mean, all together, not have to deal with any of it, you know? Yeah, no, hundred percent. I mean, we, if, uh, if you didn't have the job that you do, cause obviously you and I, for the jobs that we have, we ha- we need to be on Twitter. Like it helps us do our jobs oh. better. If you weren't in broadcast media, would you have a Twitter account? Hell no. Yeah. I mean, no, no way. It is. And honestly, even with Facebook, I, I should be like, if my bosses are listening to this. They'll be like, yeah, you should, dude. Like I should be posting more on like professional Facebook, my professional Facebook page and all that kind of stuff. But it's just like, it's so, and not even necessarily from a sports standpoint, but just overall, man, like Facebook, even people think Twitter's toxic. Like, I mean, I don't know how much time you spend on Facebook, Trey. Like it is, it is so toxic. Um, but I, I barely, I barely post on that. Cause really like the people on that platform for Facebook, they either want a really wholesome like feature that's about community and adversity and kind of like the couple of weeks ago, when we were talking about my Jonathan Brooks story, that piece blew up on Facebook. Oh, did cool. pretty well on Twitter too, but it blew up on Facebook because that's the kind of stuff people like, or they want something really controversial or they want like the Michigan sign stealing stuff. And they want to yell at each other in the comments and all that kind of stuff. Like there's really no in between of like, here's how Malik Murphy played, you know, or it's just like they, yeah, they want just like, they, they don't want nuts and bolts on the game. Facebook is for the casual boomers that think they know everything. According to Jake. I think that I definitely goes for aimlessly promote my podcast and Texas sports unfiltered. No, it, it, it's the, yeah, the platform serves a purpose for sure, but it's um, not for boomers though, because I know my wife and all of her friends, they just mindlessly scroll Facebook videos now. 
Like Facebook went more the way of Instagram. And so it's just video after video after video. And it's just feeding the dopamine reward system in your brain. Because it's just these quick five to 10 to 15 second clips that either make you laugh or cry or evoke some sort of emotion. And then you quickly move on to the next one. And the algorithm sees what you're pausing or stopping on and gives you more of that. Which I don't know. Twitter does the same thing, which some of the stupid, at least on my timeline, it kind of does where accounts they've done that more. So now like in the Elon Twitter era where accounts that I don't even follow, but it could be a type of like talking about on the for you feed. I always have to click on the people you follow feed. Oh, now I feel like a boomer. I didn't never even done that. Yeah. Just look at the top. There's, there's tabs for, it says for you and that's, anything goes people you follow and then if you have any any groups you can click on a direct group but i feel like if if all things were equal and i had to be on one social media it would probably be instagram like i get more value out of instagram right now in terms of knowledge gains than either of the other two the other two at this point are almost exclusively for shamelessly promoting whatever stupid interview or show i'm a part of at a given point in time other than this one of course well, and you guys as well, it probably, you know, for media outlets or media folk that aren't necessarily like the beat writer for Texas football, and that's it. Like, because they're the ones putting the news out that I'm following, but we are following whether it's my job in local TV or you guys on, you know, radio, all your different platforms and stuff like that. You're talking about a bunch of different things. So you want to kind of follow some of these people that are the experts or the niche, the beat writers for one particular thing. So there still is a getting news out of it aspect of like, you know, uh, I mean, I want to follow like if so-and-so, if there's like Cowboys news or if there was an injury, you know, uh, for hell, whether it was fantasy football or something I'm doing for work, like kind of follow for, you know, the Adam Schefters of the world and then the local versions that, you know, that kind of stuff. Like obviously a bunch of our buddies on the, on the Texas beat too. We follow them for, you know, very specific type information that only a beat writer would have. So that Twitter is, that's really the main reason I'm on Twitter. And then if there's stuff, the stuff that I post, I only, I don't just post on Twitter all the time. Like I always tell people this too. They're like, you don't post that much on Twitter, you know, maybe compared to some other people I'll post if it's something that I think people that follow me will enjoy. So usually it's Texas football. Um, And then of course, occasionally I'll post some personal things on there every now and again that I'm like, people might not give a shit about this at all. But typically when I'm posting on Twitter, it's like, cause I think like the, the Sark answer, like um, the Sark answer to Anwar Richardson's question about why Malik stayed. You know, that was, that was the last question in the press conference. It was like a two and a half minute answer of gold. I thought that was awesome. And yeah, you could get that on YouTube, but you know, I was like, let me post the snippet here. And that did pretty well. And then like Malik talking about uh, what he did, what he was thinking. Um, I can't remember who it was. Somebody asked him what he was thinking after the touchdown, like what went through his mind. And then he, gave a great answer about, Oh, I did this in high school. I I point up to my parents. I find my mom, find my dad. Like he knows where they're sitting before the game. And then he was joking afterwards about like, yeah, the stadium's a little bigger than my high school stadiums. Like I, I couldn't really find it, but I just pointed up in their general direction. So like, that's the kind of stuff that I'm trying to post on, on social media. I think that's very valuable. One more thing is we bring lifetime longhorn Tristan Nicholson into the conversation Facebook, at least my Facebook, is most entertaining for one thing that I honestly don't go to all that often, but I know exactly what it is, and it's amusing because it's people who are 
taking themselves and their situations way too seriously. That would be my neighborhood Facebook page. Tell me if you guys have something like this with your neighborhoods where it's essentially, it's not all housewives because I know some working women who are part of this too, but it, it is a lot of uh, bored housewives who are clucking hens on social media, just looking to stir up problems in the neighborhood. Trey, the uh, <laughs> glad you brought that up because we are in the, and we're in like a relatively new neighborhood over here where people have only lived here in the neighborhood across from us, which we share like the HOA. It's only been around for like a year or two. So <laughs> the funniest thing the other day on the Facebook page, which I refuse to join, but Jasmine will send me the highlights of it. That's what the my wife does too, yeah. The, yeah, the latest, the latest highlight was a bunch of people thinking that the poor 18-year-old dude walking around trying to sell people fiber internet, and if they didn't answer, he would stick the little thing, you know, you get like a, a you know, I've, I've had like Chinese food, pizza, like little menus that they'll stick on your door. Well, he's, he tries to knock on the door and sell you and talk to you about it, and a lot of people don't answer. So he puts a little thing on there. What well, jangles the doorknob a little bit, I guess. There was a whole... Facebook post that someone had posted and people in the comments were saying, yeah, same thing, same thing. Trying to accuse this guy that there's somebody trying to break into homes here. And we were, we were cracking up because clearly was not. Yeah. Clearly, clearly was not trying to break into homes. He was just trying to sell some uh, fiber internet, man. Great example of that. Just trying to stir up trouble, trying to make right. something out of nothing. And it was with that, that we do officially bring Tristan Nicholson into the fray as we do every Monday at around two o'clock. What's up, Tristan? How are we doing this Monday? Hey, guys. How's it going? Everything's good. Does, does your family or does your wife, uh, she uh, tied into the neighborhood Facebook page that is all about uh, housewives trying to stir up trouble for everybody else? You know, it's funny you say that. <laughs> Just listening to your conversation a little bit. We used to live up in Dallas and lived in a, a pretty large uh, master plan subdivision type. And, and that Facebook had a couple thousand people in it. Uh, and it did get pretty toxic at times. It was it was wild. Some of the stuff that would happen on there that's just like just very head turning. But this new one that we're in has got like 50 people in it and, and no one hardly ever posts. And Usually when they do, it's good stuff, like giving away free whatever, kids, clothes, yada, yada, yada. Uh, so it's, it's much better. But, yeah, I've seen some of the toxic, what what Jeff was talking about. All right. Glad to hear that you're not dealing with that in modern times. Uh, before we get into the UT football conversation, how's the how's the baby doing? They're both great, man. Uh, can't, can't, I'm blessed. We, we just had our, our littlest one just got over his first bout of like sickness, mm. um, just like snotty nose, all that stuff. But the first time is always a little harrowing, I found, but they're, they're doing great. Man. Thanks for asking. How about you? Yeah, it's hard not to, to go worst case scenario, at least for me, especially when they're that young, like wor worrying that it's, it is the worst thing possible. And I hate oh, sure. it. It can turn quick. I, I, I get it, man. It can turn quick. We, we took our daughter the other night to the ER because she ended up having croup. And it was, uh, she had had it before, so we knew exactly what it was and took her right there. But yeah, it's one of those things that unfortunately you get used to, but it's not fun. Tristan, you're uh, getting into some UT football here. Your, yeah, your man, thoughts, let's, uh, do, let's you know, do it. Your, your thoughts on Malik Murphy? We'll just start there. 
Yeah, sure. So I, I thought Malik came out awesome in terms of his attitude, swagger. Thought that was great. Really liked seeing him fired up. It, it was kind of a it was a, a situation for him where he had nothing to lose, right? You know that the starter is going to come back in a couple weeks, hopefully, and he's getting his job back no matter what. So you really just have that opportunity to go out there and shine. You could tell he was he was bouncing with that energy a little bit. There were a couple of questionable plays um, and throws, but I don't think all of that is on him. I think there was some stuff that happened around the offensive line uh, protection-wise that kind of led to a lot of those issues, but still can't throw picks like you're in practice either. You're talking about just throwing it up for grabs when you're under pressure? That one specifically was was pretty. If I saw that in practice as a coach, I, I would you know I would be fired up on my guy for sure. Um, that wasn't like a you because you can take a sack, you can you can get through it. The game's not on the line at that moment in time. So you know if if you're coaching a more seasoned guy kid, then you would say, hey, just take the sack and move on. But that play specifically and that protection they ran was the same protection where. He threw another. He threw the ball to Sanders, and Sanders made a fantastic catch. That dude's a monster. Um, but it was a, you know, he was on the run, and then the fumble in the red zone were all the same protection. So I would just toss that protection from my playbook. What 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 happens, or what was that protection? So it looks like it's a, a slide left or right. So slide protection meaning. Basically, you're sliding left or right from an offensive line perspective. If you're sliding left, you look to your left and you look at that gap and you got that gap. It's pretty simple. The The wrinkle that Texas has thrown into it is by pulling that play side guard and having that person be the in man blocking free hitter, defensive lineman, whoever's chasing down the play. Um, I like that protection, that that it, how it's schemed, because they had a lot of success running Jonathan Brooks with that same run. Um, it's just power. And so, but you could tell the timing was off and that's what led to Malik having to backpedal and uh, they ran it into the blitz a couple times and it just didn't go their way. But, you know, when he gets in that situation, he's just got to get rid of it or, you know, do, don't do anything that he, except what he did, which is throw it up and just say, okay, next play, like you're in practice. And I get it. The guy doesn't have a lot of, when I say guy, the kid doesn't have a lot of uh, game reps. And so that's something that you you pick up throughout the season. Luckily, the defense pitched another stellar game, so it didn't make it matter all that much anyway. Tristan, I was uh, saying earlier, the, you know, it was a good first start, played a team, you know, played, played well around him as well, you know, just in terms of defensively and then the special teams touchdown. But the honeymoon's over now. You welcome in a really good team, which, I think it's safe to say that the season, the Big 12 title hopes, definitely the playoff hopes are, are on the line this week. So with Malik, how, if at all, you know, from your standpoint, does the game plan change or or, do, or does it change really? Is it kind of the same idea? Maybe you feed Brooks even a little more? You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't say you feed him anymore, right? Like he's had, he's averaged 115 yards a game, something crazy, right, through eight weeks. Uh, and that's with the first two games not being all that great. So He's clearly, you need to design your offensive game plan around that dude. Get him the ball, get him the ball in space, throw it to him. Uh, so I wouldn't change that because they've been doing that, and it's been working out really, really well. I mean, there's not been a single game where in total they look like a, a complete emanciation of an offense, right? Sometimes it doesn't pick up until the second half, but they've looked great all year in every game. So I wouldn't change it up 
too much. You just got to find the things that Malik struggled with that were in your game plan for when Ewers was uh, executing on those things, and and you take them out and you adjust, right? The, that protection. I wouldn't run it again. You ran it three times and it didn't go well either of the three times, either from uh, poor blocking, letting free hitters come through that they should have got. Uh, on a couple of those, there's just guys coming off unblocked and they're right in Malik's face as soon as he whips around. I, I don't blame the guy for being a bit frazzled trying to get rid of the ball. Like I said, I don't think you you just need to toss it up, but at the same time, the the play where he fumbled, never even saw the guy. Guy came off the edge unblocked. So it's it's just little stuff like that. I don't think you need to pull the lever and, and say we need to look to Archie. I think that's ridiculous. Is there a blocking scheme that you think has worked the best for this offense this year? Uh, in terms of the run, the power um, is doing really well, but just basic zone blocking has been shooting them great as well. It, it's tough to say anything bad when they're averaging this many yards per carry. Um, by, and by, I, you know, by basic stone blocking, do you mean just block the guy in front of you? Yeah, it, it, it's a little bit more complicated than that, Trey. And we, if we got a whiteboard, and we'll get one once I get the uh, the office set up, and I'll, I'll I'll walk you guys through some offensive schemes. But yeah, it, it's just depending on where the guys lining up in your shade. It's not always the person right in front of you. Sometimes if you're unblocked and you're the free hitter to the linebacker, you've got to climb. You've got to help a guy out to your left and then climb to the backer. But for the most part, yeah, zone is just that zone in front of you. Uh, uh, power and, and then some other concepts, but power is you're pulling um, and you're you're bringing one guy off the, the backside to cover your losses. And, and so I think they've been doing really well at uh, executing on those plays. It helps when you've got like a Jonathan Brooks or a Bijan Robinson type where that guy can make two or three cuts in the backfield and, and make his own space. That's awesome. That's super helpful. Um, but as far as pass pro, this is a good pass proing offensive line. I just wouldn't get tricky with trying to pull a guy and have him run all the way across the coverage uh, to try to pick up a, a defensive end that's running full speed, right? That That's a the matchup. You take a 350-pound offensive guard with all his headgear and everything on versus a free hitter coming right off the edge. He's going to lose that battle no matter who you're playing. Uh, so I would scrap some stuff like that, but for the most part, they're given – they gave Ewers time. They're giving Malik time. Uh, I, I think, you know, just keep doing what you're doing. Keep doing what's working. We've got a, a pretty big sample size now of the of what's not working. The little bit of what's not working on offense, which is the red zone offense. What do you what do you attribute that to? Is it as simple as like I mean, going back to some of the you're, you're getting real detailed, obviously some awesome stuff on the blocking schemes, but is it as simple as just like? they're just not getting the leverage or, or, or what? I mean, why can't they punch it in from the two? You know, that's tough, right? Um, because as an offense, when you're able to just have your way the entire length of the field, right, and then you get to the very end and you can't get one yard, um, it's it's very frustrating. I've been on the other end of that. Sometimes I think you got to just take the points. Um, I think you just kick field goals because there were two red zone stops in this game, so you go up by – six more, it doesn't really matter in this game, right? You'd hang 40 on them, whoopty. But in other games that might be closer down the season, it can really make a big difference. So I think as a philosophy, you just you just take the points that are on the board. The goal of an offensive drive is to score, even if it's a, a field goal, especially when you're up that much. But but yeah, the I think the play calling in those situations has been less than stellar, though. 
As a guy who plays on the offensive side of the ball, I don't know if you ever dealt with this as a player, Tristan, but does it do anything to you one way or the other when you see a guy who uh, plays uh, plays a very specific defensive position coming in as a member of the offense, like what we've seen out of these Texas defensive linemen more than once this year? Sure. I, you know what? I, I love that, right? Because you gain an extra blocker. Usually, if it's a defensive lineman, he's a lot more athletic than your offensive lineman. So not only do you get a, a, a basically the body of an offensive lineman, but you get the, the strength and speed of a, of a fullback, right? Um, so I love the scheme. You just have to be a little bit more elusive with it than they've been. Uh, obviously, if you're running the same play every time, no matter how, who you have blocking it, you're going to get stopped. And so if they've only shown that look, I haven't watched enough film on those that package specifically, but if they're running that same play every time they have those guys in the game, it's pretty easy from a defensive uh, play calling perspective to fill that gap, right? If you're only running zone in that formation, okay, let's call a play to, to stop zone. It, it's not rocket science. So if they're going to continue to use that package, you got to spread it out. Maybe throw some passing in there, pull, throw some play action, right? Um, but I haven't, to, I haven't seen enough of that package to know how they've been playing it this year. But it doesn't seem to be working every time it, it, it's in. Kind of a on the other side of the ball, a get right game for the defense. Was was it as simple as just BYU is not good offensively, which it seems like? How confident are you that they can? They can take a bit of that get right game and then actually carry it over into the yeah. most important game I mean, of the season BYU's, against BYU is a weird measuring stick for sure because I, I think they've got some really talented players, especially on on the offensive side of the ball. Um, but it's just one of those weird teams that's never going to be made up of like what you'd consider a traditional football team, right? Uh, versus whereas Houston, I think, was probably a better measuring stick of how how the offensive is or the defense has been performing. Um, you know, they gave up 30 to or 34 to OU and then they give up 20, 21, 24 to to U of H. So I, I don't know if this was a, a, a good measuring stick of how great the defense is. But you're right, Jeff. It was a get back to, to you know, come back to Jesus moment. Right. Um, I think the, the picks help. Um, they were getting after the quarterback. What I really liked was they weren't lucking into any of these plays. All of the pick, the guy should have caught that. Um um, the one where it came out across the middle on the you're, you're talking about the second one, the Michael Taft one. Yeah, exactly. The, the first one was a, was a great tip, great play. Oh, no, that, that was, that was, you're right. That was a Herculean effort. Um, it, it, that was a, just a good defensive play, right? Making making opportunities for your teammates is the name of the game. Um, but yeah, I, I thought they played admirably. I thought they they came came up to the plate, but. Uh, they're going to be pacing a much more potent offense, I think, this week. Yeah, looking ahead to uh, this weekend's game, Tristan, you obviously had a chance to uh, face Kansas State a couple of different times. And Kansas State, regardless of the coach, seems to be a very uh, very familiar football team year in, the year in and year out. Very physical on both lines of scrimmage. They typically don't make a ton of plays that uh, that hurt themselves, and they, when they're good, they're getting good quarterback play while also having some skill guys who uh, who can break games open, both at running back and wide receiver, and they seem to have a, a little bit of all of that this year, and it's clicking right now too. 
you're right, Trey. And, and, you know, Manhattan's one of those places where most home teams get three or four points. Uh, I think they get like seven to 10 uh, because they play a lot better at home. Luckily we got them at our joint because otherwise I would feel a little nervous about this, this weekend. Um, but no, I, I think, like I said, you're, you're going to be facing a very, or like you said, Trey, you're going to be facing a very, uh, uh, what's the word I'm blanking, uh, a very decisive defense and a very, uh, mistake-free defense. And so, and offense. So I think they just got to stay on top of them early, come out, come out swinging. Tristan, I think, uh, some of the, uh, some of the K-State, like, I guess the, the mystique around K-State we thought sort of went away when Bill Snyder finally retired. Um, obviously, he built that thing into the most unlikely, uh, call it like a, a mini powerhouse kind of. Um, but they, they, they've won some they won the Big 12 championship a couple times. Obviously, they won it last year. When you played them, what are some of the hallmarks of a Kansas State team that you still see now under Chris Kleiman? No, sure. I haven't watched a ton of them play this year. So, uh, but just in past years, right? They 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 play up to big games. They play up to Texas for sure. Um, the year they beat us, they came into our house. We were ranked, um, and they put it on us. Um, so they're they're just they're all underlooked, right? From a recruiting perspective, all these guys come in as two and three stars. A lot of local talent, a lot of JUCO type guys. I played with a guy in, in JUCO that ended up playing defensive end for them. Uh, you know, five, seven white dude who ended up having a couple sacks for him. Like the dude had a motor on him. So from a defensive perspective, they're going to have some big names, some five-star types from the state and, and from other places. Um, but it's really those scrappy homegrown talent dudes you got to watch out for because they don't stop. Um, luckily, I think what you get in that or you give up for that is size and depth, which usually that's been the, the hallmark of, Kansas State offenses and defenses, they got really good players, but but maybe not as deep as like a team like Texas. So you're hoping to lean on them heavy with that and, and just, you know, let your strength bully them around a little bit. Tristan, uh, when I saw you at Texas OU, you were wearing an Earl Campbell Love You Blue jersey. And I'm an old school Oilers fan. A lot of people are old school Oilers fans who either don't have a football team these days or choose to root for the Texans. Yesterday was a complete abomination, in my opinion, where the Tennessee Titans were wearing Oilers jerseys. The jerseys looked cool. I don't dispute that. But they were given to a fan base, I guess, for a lack of better words, that has no emotional history with the Houston Oilers. Uh, it's time for the NFL to uh, ask the Titans to give those uniforms back to the city of Houston, correct? Hey man, yeah, I, I, I the Houston Oilers era was a little bit before my time, but I, I remember it fondly from stories from my dad and, and, and grandparents. They're from Port Arthur, so they rooted for the Oilers. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I think you're right, Trey. The Tennessee Titans don't have any allegiance other than you know it's a cool throwback thing for them, but it, it, it's a lot more to to the Houston fan base for sure. So yeah. I don't see any problem with that. Where's that petition? I'll sign it. <laughs> so, Tristan, are, are you uh, are you more of a Cowboys or or a Texans guy? Because you grew up in Houston, right? Grew up in Houston. Was born in Dallas. Grew up in Houston. Okay. Bounced back. And you said you forth. lived in Dallas too, even as yeah, a yeah, yeah. We lived in Dallas, so my family is from up there. Um, 
have family from up there and then Port Arthur. Um, but, you know, I, I don't really follow a pro team all that close. I've got guys that I still know that play that I root for and keep in touch with. Um, like this year, we're huge Dolphin fans, the family and I, because um, we've been keeping up with Connor Williams and, and, and Byron Jones and those guys. So um, they look great. So I, it kind of floats from year to year. Once I don't know anybody else in, in the league, then maybe I'll, I'll settle down. But I've been always, always been more of a college fan anyway. I was going to say, you kind of have some unique uh, connections to the game still, to, to the pro game at least, that the average years. the average person and the average fan doesn't really have. So that's got to be yeah. that's got to be kind of cool too to just pop on the TV and you know even if you only cross paths with the guy for a year, just watching watching NFL on Sunday and be like, oh yeah, I play with that guy or yeah, play no against sure. that guy. Who's who's the best player you ever played against? Man, that's a that's a tough question. Um, one of the best players I ever saw play was was. Sam Darnold, um, I think he threw like six pit or threw six picks through six touchdowns against us when we. Oh, I, I would have believed both, Unfortunately, um, man, it was, it was just so pretty. He would just drop these dimes, and you're just watching him. You're like, goodness gracious, we got to go out there and score again because this dude's not going to stop. Um, so there have been a few times where, like, I, I've played guys like that where they truly broke the game, right? Whereas you're not playing the same. It's like in basketball when a guy drops 80 points. You're just not playing the same game as you're used to. Um, as far as player-wise, I got a chance to, uh, in terms of being the, the best uh, player that I've played against, I got an opportunity to train a little bit pre-draft with Vita Vea, uh, mm. who is a monster. That guy is, is unreal, his size being able to move as well as he does. Uh, at Texas, was probably Puna Ford, man. Because I, I have not – we had some really, really good pass rushers while I was there. Charles Aminahue is, you know, doing really, really well right yeah. now. Um, but but Puna was one of those guys that had a different body type, right? I don't know his exact height, so don't come at me, Puna. But um, he was on the shorter side, but his arms were longer than mine. And so he'd fire off so low, and, and his arms were so long. He was a tough guy to block and is doing really well now in the NFL. So – there, there's a few, but I, I'd have to go back and, and watch some games and, and remember it's been a while. Yeah, Puno spent the early part of his career in Seattle, obviously, and he's with the Bills now. You said you're still in touch with Connor Williams. Is he still in Miami? Yeah, he's still in Miami. He's been hurt the past couple of weeks, um, but is their center now. He's he's doing great things with them, and, and their offense is obviously one of the best ever. So he, he's crushing it. That's so crazy to watch the trajectory of his career as a pro. Like I would have laughed if you had suggested that NFL guys would move him from tackle because he was just so good there as a collegiate. Sure. But once, once the belief started that he was better off at the guard position, inevitably when the Cowboys took him, that's really where they tried him out more than anywhere else. And now he's moved all the way inside to center too. Yep. Yeah, well, Connor's a, a smart guy, too, um, understands blocking schemes uh, and knows how to flip protection. So it's not surprising that he made a move inside because that's usually your your middle linebacker, so to speak, of, of the offensive line. Um, but, yeah, it, it's just about finding the right team with the right fit. Cowboys didn't need a guard, and, and Miami needed a center, and so it ended up working out for everybody. Well, while we're kind of talking about the evolution of going from college to pro, 
uh, Tristan. I, I'm curious, and this could be an unfairly broad question that you maybe haven't even thought of, but I've kind of started thinking the last couple of weeks just watching some of these guys as they put together really now more than an entire half season of really good play, whether it's a Tavondre Sweat, a uh, Adonai Mitchell, Xavier Worthy, Jonathan Brooks. I mean, you go down the list of, of guys. Is there one guy that will leave this year that you think – will translate the best to the NFL game. And obviously there's a million different circumstances that fall in that of where you mm-hmm. go and the mm-hmm. opportunities you're given. But is there, are there a couple guys maybe that stand out to you? Yeah, there's a couple. Um, Sweat's great, man. I think he's going to have success uh, at the next level for sure. A dude that big and that strong who can move like he can, um, it, he is it's rare. huge, man. Yeah, I mean, he's, like he's, I know they say you can see 360, and I'm sure you've seen – Something similar. You're talking about Garden Puna and all that, but man, I, I stood next to him. The, the Houston post game room was tiny, and they were yeah. bringing players right through where I was standing. And I stood next to Tavondre and actually got to chat with him for a minute. And I was just like, I mean, but the, the interesting thing is he's 360 pounds and he's massive, but he like looks proportional. Like when you look at him, you're like, he looks good. Yeah. You know, he's in really good shape, obviously. Yeah, no, I, I, I do know what that's like. I've been 360, Jeff. Uh, I didn't look like that for sure. I was a different <laughs> – I was an offensive lineman 360, which is not the same. Um, but – so I think he'll do great at the next level. Um, uh, Jadavion Sanders, man, I like I said before, that yep. dude has a uh, – and I think the comp is Darren Waller. But, like, that dude's got – so much potential. Uh, I, I think as a, a pass blocker, he's a really good pass blocker. Uh, but obviously as a game breaker and a, and a playmaker downfield, um, making tough catches that he shouldn't make, uh, and then just really powerful as a runner. So I, I this offense right now, and then Jonathan Brooks, like that's, that's a given, right? I, I think he's going to get a lot of the same Bijan comps, which is going to do great for him in, in, in post UT land. But, yeah, no, I, I think they've got a lot of guys who will translate to the next level, more so than they've had in a long time. I, I think the biggest thing with Brooks, I'll just say real quick with Brooks, the biggest thing he's shown that I think helps his NFL stock is the ability to catch the ball. I mean, this is six games in a row where he's had a significant amount of receiving yards, and Trey and I were talking about just some of the, the big plays that he's made in the receiving game. And, you know, whether it's a third and eight where they just kind of dump it off to him and are like, go get us – go get us the eight yards, you know, an unlikely eight yards, make a move, make a man miss. And he's been, he's been awesome in that sense. And I think that's probably going to be the thing that really goes the longest way. Um, you know, now at this point in the season, we already knew he could, we already had an idea he could run the ball, obviously. But the fact that he's shown that versatility, I think is something that, that I maybe didn't expect. Yeah. Averaging almost 10 yards a catch is pretty good from the running back position. And five or six a carry, not bad either. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think in a, in a different year that's not so quarterback heavy, you've got a serious Heisman-type candidate. I'm, I'm confused as to why not. Um, <laughs> we, we were going over that earlier. <laughs> Brooks for Heisman. So. Yeah. And Trey was saying he's not even like, you can't even get odds on him still. Which, mm-hmm. I, I mean, maybe you could somewhere, but at least not not widely, you know, like if you just Googled Heisman, current Heisman odds. He's not even top 15 in Heisman odds right now. It would just be you're, – you're essentially lighting that money on fire if you're betting for him as a Heisman winner. It's I, a, I, do that, I do that shit all the time, Trey, whenever I bet. <laughs> yeah, well, that's – me too. I'm going to be going to Vegas and uh, 
in a couple weeks here. So we'll see how poorly oh, that one goes this time. An impatient gambler, win or lose. What kind of gambler are you, Tristan? You know, I, I don't know what type I am. I, I like I like poker um, is kind of the only gambling I can stomach because I feel like I still have a little bit of control. Yeah. But. So in yeah. Vegas, you go you go to the poker table? Yeah, I'll go, I'll go to the poker table. I, I love Vegas for a, a myriad of reasons. Gambling is probably the least of them. It's just a fun city. I, I don't, I'm not a big drinker. My yeah. and I are not big drinkers, but. Vegas is just fun, you know, the food, the lights, the architecture. I just have a great time. Um, so we go to Vegas a lot, or went up to Vegas a lot prior to having yeah. two kids. <laughs> yeah, that's done for a while. Do you have a good restaurant recommendation then or show recommendation? You know, that's the one thing we never did or haven't done yet is the shows. But but definitely want to try do that. I like magic too. Um, so definitely want to check out some of the magic stuff. As far as restaurants, I can tell you kind of where to stay away from um, because we usually go for the the iconic, the first place in, right? We're not uh, very, we don't do the detective and find the hole in the wall place, not in Vegas at least, but but Hell's Kitchen is is meh. It's cool to go in there and, and have that experience, but but wouldn't recommend. Speaking of, I got, I got one food one for you, Tristan, before you go. Uh, Trey and I ended the last 20 minutes of the Monday show last week just on an absolute food debacle. I wouldn't call it like a tirade, but we were just, you know. Was this the toast episode? What's that? Was this the toast episode? It was, yeah. It actually happened okay. to be the, yeah, we, we bookended it with toast and then just kind of talking about fast food and whatever. And I was talking about my how I just love to like grub after I shoot a football game on down on the field, especially the ones that are like where it's hot early in the season. What is your, or what was your go-to when you were playing? Like probably in water or probably Whataburger in high school, but um, I don't know, high school, college. Yeah, definitely Whataburger in high school. That was the post game meal. I think every, every game, every competition Uh, in college, especially if you're away, you're eating whatever they give you because you're getting, you're leaving the dressing room. You're maybe saying hi to your family if it's an away game. You're saying hi to your family. Uh, maybe you're doing media, whatever, and then you're picking up like a box lunch, like Church's Chicken or uh, Chick-fil-A, something like that, and you're taking it on the bus heading to the plane. So uh, on the road, whatever they give you. Um, at home, it can be a little bit different because they'll still give you the food, but at you know home game, you get done 8.30, 9 o'clock. You still got time to, to leave and go somewhere else. So for me... It was usually a sit-down restaurant because my family would come into town and, and, you know, we'd be the only ones in there at 9, 30, 10 o'clock. Um, but that's usually what I – but, like, yeah, any, anything that's got a lot of calories, man, because you just, you just fought a war. I can only imagine from the, from the trenches, too. <laughs> that's right. You're just ready to run. guys who are going the fast food route after games, they're heading straight to Guadalupe and MLK. Because there's just a string of restaurants over there. The McDonald's, the Taco Cabana, Canes, Play, Canes. There's something else I'm missing too. There's a 7 Eleven right there too. If you just want to convenience store junk food it up. Yeah. The one the one caveat is the Red River game because mm-hmm. I never I didn't get to go to a, a Texas State Fair until after I done got after I was done playing or experienced the you know the game. And so I remember one year, my my girlfriend, my wife now, uh, but my girlfriend at the time, brought me a funnel cake and a corn dog. And I got to enjoy oh, yeah. that after we beat 
Oh, you. So it was that. That was by far the best post game meal, though. That is yeah. called wife material, right there. As you well there you know. Go. We have an interview clip from uh, not obviously not this year, but l- last year's game uh, with Moro Ojimo eating a turkey leg in the middle of the interview. <laughs> and obviously, my my dumbass was just more concerned with the logistics of how he got a turkey leg in there. But I guess if you beat OU, there's enough people back there that'll that'll go do whatever you oh, need. Oh yeah, because you you come out of the, the the stadium and they've got the team buses set up and they've got a a wall of you know fences where all the the family stand and they're walling everybody else off. So your family can come in there and yeah, if you've got somebody that loves you enough that went and got you a a turkey leg and brought it to you. You can enjoy that after the game for sure. Unpopular state fair food take, guys. The turkey leg is better in theory than it is execution. For sure. For sure. You got to try it. You got to have one in your life. Um, And and at the Texas State Fair, if you're going to choose one after beating OU, I'd choose that one. Um, But, yeah, I agree with you, Trey. It's not a – not on my top five. Hmm. Well, Tristan, we are at the end of our time. It's a good conversation as always. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks, guys. You have a good thanks, one. Tristan. Talk to you next Monday at 2. Sounds good. There he is, Lifetime Longhorn Tristan Nicholson, providing some uh, great insight on the Longhorns football team, the offensive line position, food, marriage, and a whole lot more. We, re- we really do get a lot done with Tristan when he comes on. And he, he brought up, I don't know if he was joking, but he brought up the whiteboard segment. I'm I'm all I'm all in on that. I'm Heck all in yeah. for somebody that's that's played the game at that level, especially a position like offensive line, uh, to to kind of break it down for us. You know, that would yeah. be that would be awesome if we could have him do that one day. I agree. And I think he's got plans in place to put that whiteboard up. So maybe before too long we can have him uh do some drawing with a marker on a whiteboard to help us better understand certain offensive line schemes. He can show us the scheme that uh the pulling guard leads the way to New York City for Jonathan Brooks. I, you know, look, that was I, terrible. I, I'm sorry. I like that idea. I do. <laughs> I like that idea. You and uh, plenty of folks on the comments line are suggesting it. Like, I think in a a different season, it's a possibility. But having a running back in New York at this point takes a guy who is just putting up insane numbers, which Jonathan Brooks isn't quite doing that because there were two games that he was not getting a lion's share of the carries. And it probably takes a boisterous personality too, someone who's a little bit more outspoken than Jonathan Brooks is, who, as you know, because you did that excellent feature on him a few weeks ago, is like a very mellow, humble, quiet guy. And then on top of that, his coach is not doing him any favors in a game where he could have Fucking gone for 150 to 200 rushing yards if he really wanted to. Yeah, he does not like bullets for Kansas State. He, he he does not like talking about himself. I mean, and honestly, most guys are like that. Like Trey, obviously, when you do your interviews, you have to ask those people. You're asking famous people about themselves. Like you kind of have to do that. But when you work on like when I'm working on a story for something where I can interview multiple people and then obviously piece it all together the best sound bites are always someone else talking about yeah. the main subject of the story. Cause especially nowadays with how everything is just nitpicked with these guys, nobody wants to, you know, there's only one Deion Sanders for a reason, Well, there's only a few guys like that in this world who are just 
so openly all about, you know, self-promotion and Jay then also self-promoters. Exactly. And then also can back it up too. Yeah. Like there's guys that, that there are a couple guys, you know, some guys that run their mouth, but don't back it up to a hall of fame level like that. But, but yeah, Jonathan's he's, he's not going to, he's definitely not going to start that campaign himself. And I think that's that word campaign. I think that's what it would take really is. And, you know, the UT Sark basically signing off on some UTPR, just going crazy with starting the campaign of it all. <laughs> it, it does help if your school's behind you. I mean, you you walked around the state fair in Dallas a few weeks ago where it was Texas OU, but there was Bo Nix stuff everywhere. There was a giant Bo Nix poster downtown. There were people walking around with posters of Bo Nix wearing Oregon gear at the game itself. Like Oregon is making a concerted effort to get Bo Nix to New York. And they're doing so in part because he's been really good on the field this year. He was good again this last Saturday too against a ranked Utah team. That wasn't even a game because that Oregon defense stifled a very overrated for a week Utah offense, but Oregon's offense was awesome. And Bo Nix is a big reason why right now. So overrated, overrated for a week. I don't know how interested Texas is in having Jonathan Brooks turn into a Heisman candidate because that maybe makes it more likely that he chooses not to come back next year. Isn't he a redshirt sophomore right now? He could theoretically leave if he wanted to. I don't think he's going to, but he could. Yeah, he is, he is definitely draft eligible. Yeah, because he sat he sat behind, uh, yeah, I guess redshirt sophomore probably because he sat behind Bijan and Roshan for two full seasons. Yeah. Um, and then I think, no, he didn't have the, he did not have the COVID year. No. Because it's, man, that has gotten so confusing with like, because he came in 2021. He showed up to UT yeah. in 2021. So he was a freshman, 21, 22. One of those, I'm sure they redshirted him because I don't even know if he got in five games either of those seasons. Mm. Um, definitely scored a couple touchdowns in, in mop-up duty in both of those seasons. But yeah, <laughs> the whole eligibility thing. It's just... We're so close to the end of that now. Yeah, Keaton Slovis. Like, I- I'm sorry, man. It's... I'm happy for these guys. Time for Keaton Slovis to get a job. Like it's time for JT Daniels to get a job. JT, yeah, exactly. All those do. I'm mean, how many former USC quarterbacks are elsewhere in college football now? Quite uh quite a few. And hopefully Caleb other, Williams. The other one too that we were talking about last week. Oh, who was it that we were talking about? Hold on. Because so obviously you got all the stops that uh, JT Daniels went on, all the stops for for uh, Keaton Slovis. But actually, you know what's interesting is we're, you mentioned Utah, Texas quarterbacks now elsewhere. That's interesting too. I mean, obviously, we know what happened with Casey Thompson is his college career is over from the the ACL injury. But Cameron Rising and Jaquin and Jackson are both former Texas quarterbacks that are at at Utah now. One actually at quarterback, one at running back. Yeah, and Quentin Jackson has turned into a really good running back. A lot of people yeah. that he needed to make that move before leaving Texas, and ultimately he did, which is better for him. Jackson Dart is the other guy that... Oh, I yeah. Love. Oh, and how about Matt Fink? Well, the crazy thing about Dart, Daniels, and Slovis is they weren't former USC quarterbacks that like never played. They are former USC quarterbacks that... I mean, even Dart played five games I think and was actually decent they just knew that you know he, he kind of saw the writing on the wall and was like I'm 
Lincoln's not going to play me. And obviously when they, <laughs> when people start talking about them going to get Caleb Williams, even though we didn't necessarily know that he was going to be this good, that he was going to be Heisman good. Breaking news. The line of former USC quarterbacks elsewhere in college football ends with Keaton Slovis because the next couple of guys down the list are Matt Fink. Yeah. Who decided to pass up his last year of eligibility last year. And then do you remember Jack Sears? I do not know much about Mr. Sears. Jack Sears started at least a couple of games in 2018. Wow. And Jack he Sears. joined Boise State. Oh in 2020, but he is out of eligibility now. So even with that COVID year, he is out of eligibility. I wish the NFL, the NFL draft now, and you don't see as much with the first round guys, but I wish when they have people announce these picks, they would have to list every college that a guy played at. So like if someone takes a flyer on JT Daniels in the, like in a Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant last pick seventh round, whatever type of spot you have to say JT Daniels, Quarterback, Rice, West Virginia, Georgia, USC. And just go down the line of all, all the schools. I, I think that there's uh, some sort of subversive level of shame there that maybe keeps a guy from transferring to the third or fourth school. Uh, <laughs> he, I don't know. He tries to stick it out at the current place and actually earn his stripes. Hey, like Malik Murphy. Like Malik Murphy. It's been a real nice feel-good story last week and this week that he stuck it out and he's getting his opportunity now until Quinn yours is healthy enough to start at quarterback again. And you know, you know, me and my, my hypotheticals, Trey. Yeah. I, this obviously based on, based on this past week, this doesn't, this isn't an issue yet, but like how long do you realistically feel like Quinn yours is going to be out? Probably at least another two games, I would say. Yes. There's a chance if, Texas loses. Uh, I think he's out at least the next three games. So through. Okay. I so that would have, that would have him coming back for the regular season finale. Let's say Malik Murphy is playing, gets to the point where he's playing outstanding football. One of these next three games, he leads a game winning drive, three, four touchdowns, no picks, 300, 400 yard game. He's just got it humming. Brooks is still doing his thing. Baxter keeps coming along. I mean, we're feeding everybody, and it's 10-1 and one Texas with Quinn Ewers ready to come back, 6.30 kick Black Friday against Texas Tech to keep your playoff hopes alive and spot in the Big 12 championship game. And Malik Murphy's playing really well. Hell, it could be Arch. It's not a Malik Murphy thing. It could be Arch Manning comes in, and now he's playing really well. Like, what do you, what do, you do? I mean, I think those are always interesting – Interesting scenarios where, you know, Quinn, it's, yeah, I get that it's Quinn Ewer's job when he comes back, but maybe it reaches a point where, like, he hasn't thrown a pass in however long, and I don't know, like, those situations just always get tricky to me. I think that the likelihood that Quinn Ewer's comes back goes down if Texas is on the outside looking in of a Big 12 championship berth. And their oh. chances of making it to the college football playoff are completely shot. So if they lose this weekend, they lose in a couple of weekends in Fort Worth or the week after that in Ames, then the chances we see Quinn Ewers again in this regular season go down. 
because the AC joint injury is a really tricky one. And you can be healthy enough to come back, but the likelihood of re-aggravating that injury is extremely high. And because it's his throwing shoulder, they need to keep that in mind as they are like probably going to be getting him ready for this April's NFL draft and the scouting combine that becomes that comes before that. Like it sucks to look at things this way, but this is the reality of college and pro football in modern times that uh, if you have less to play for, then you really do have to think about the future. So that I, I don't have any good info to base that on other than recognizing that the injury itself is a tricky one. No two guys come back in the same amount of time. Like Sam Ellinger was a freak of nature, obviously yeah. one of the toughest dudes to play over the last 15 years here at Texas. He suffered the AC point injury and it was a very similar injury and he came back a couple weeks later. Now, he wasn't nearly as effective when he came back. It took a couple weeks for him to get comfortable and to look right once again, but that was just Sam's nature. And I, that's not to question Quinn Ewer's toughness, but I think that they also are keeping the future in mind with regards to how he's healing up versus where the team's at in its season. Well, and let's be real. Sam Ellinger never had a, a first-round NFL draft grade on his name. That's a you great know. And, and I don't and I don't know if Quinn I think Quinn Ewers has first round talent with the amount of quarterbacks that are going to come out this year, whether it's Williams, Penix, May. Like, I don't know if he would be a first round pick, not because of talent, but because of of the other quarterbacks that are out there. And then you run into teams that need a quarterback. But, you know, a guy with that talent at some point, you know, would probably get nabbed up like maybe what happened to Will Levis, you know, where he gets nabbed up like later in the in the first round. Um, but I think there's there's just so many ways that this scenario could play out, and I am completely and utterly fascinated by this dynamic right now, Trey. Like, I just am. It's it's so interesting to me, and I'll say this too. Let's say let's let's call this. I mean, you. I mean, I hate that Quinn Ewers is hurt. Obviously, this is a good problem for Texas. This is a first world problem for Texas. Like, I know I saw CB's comment that Texas has to get to Arlington or the season's a failure. I agree with that. I still think that stands. But we're sitting here after a 35-6 to Texas team against a BYU team that I don't think is very good, still 5-2 and two BYU team with grown freaking men playing on both sides of the ball. So we're sitting here saying, uh, like, you know, all I see is people saying it's not good enough. It's not good enough. Oh, just totally nitpicking it, undressing a 35-6 to win, conference win over a 5-2 and two team, to get Texas to seven and one with a freaking back of quarterback making his first start who had eight yeah. career pass attempts going into that game. Like it's a first world problem. It really is. And I'm not saying that that means it guarantees them that, you know, they're going to be a one loss team going into Arlington to play for a big 12 championship. It doesn't guarantee that, but I think Texas fans should sit back a little bit and kind of enjoy right now that this dynamic is really fascinating because you have three really, really good quarterbacks in your quarterback room right now. And you've got the program to a point where I believe it's heading in the right direction. You have three quarterbacks with the potential to be good. Here is true, a true. fair, fair. Here's a cold dose of water on the, uh, the biggest Malik Murphy believers right now, because look, he was okay for game one, but he wasn't good. And he still has a ways to go to be good. How do I know that? Well, the stats, tell you as much and i need to give credit to my friend paul wadlington of inside texas inside texas.com does a great job of breaking down the offense and defense each and every week 
And he lays it out for exactly what Malik Murphy was against BYU. Remember, a bad BYU defense. He was 9 of 10 for 51 yards on throws behind the line of scrimmage. That's fine. You want to give him those easier throws so he can gain some confidence to hit more balls downfield. Beyond the line of scrimmage, 7 of 15 for 119 yards. That is below 50% completion percentage. And when you compare that to a guy who was good this year in the same spot, Quinn Ewers, Quinn on balls behind the line of scrimmage with a much larger sample size was 64.5%. That is a 20% difference right there. And that is enormous. That is the difference in you being competitive and beating the decent to good teams on your schedule versus struggling in in those games and needing a whole lot more from your defense to have a chance to win. Well, and Trey, it's not... I mean, I always say it's not right, but it's real. And in this situation, that applies to Malik Murphy is not going to get the chance to develop that Quinn Ewers got and that Arch Manning is going to get at some point. Because I think that's the thing, too, where I know we're in the middle of the season, so people have – there's immediacy to all this, too. All the stuff you just went through with how how Malik played, like Quinn Ewers was – not a very good quarterback last year. He was a he was a solid quarterback last year. No, no he, second half of the season, statistically, he yes. was one of the worst quarterbacks in the country. And and I think it's like okay, so now maybe it's just because it's the middle of the season and they're playing for more than they were last year. At this point, their record's better, the team overall is better. But now I'm like, so why are we heaping this same expectation on Malik Murphy right now when we let Golden Boy Quinn Ewers sit back and develop? Like, and I'm not saying he didn't deserve that chance. Obviously, though, again, it's not right, but it's real. Malik Murphy's just not going to get that opportunity to develop. He's, I, he's just look, not I, because of who he's sandwiched in between. But Quinn Ewers got it, and Arch Manning's going to get it. I, I don't remember how many people were in the same category, but last year I was adamant that if this team was more serious about winning games, like Sark claimed that they were, they would have put Hudson Card in the game. Because Hudson Card... Was, that, was making plays for you by the time his stint as a starting quarterback was over with to help the team win, even though they lost to Texas Tech. That was not his fault. Yeah. Whereas Quinn Ewers came in, and he was a net negative on offense. And despite the fact that you have one of the best running backs in program history and another guy who was an exceptional running back who is now earning a paycheck at the NFL and is also a badass team leader and a really good defense, you could only scratch out eight regular season wins in a conference that – wasn't great last year. I realized TCU went to the national championship game. You know, they had a lot of things go their way in the process. And you beat the team that beat them in the Big 12 championship game. You took care of business against Kansas State in Manhattan. So there was more of an opportunity last year. But to your point, Sark was trying to play the long game. Yeah. When yours and letting him take those lumps for the betterment of his future. Now, there were no guarantees there, by the way. If Quinn doesn't start to buy in at the end of the regular season and we see a guy who, physically speaking, looked like a different guy in the bowl game and also played like a different guy too, and that continued to carry over through the offseason and he's still that same new player here in 2023, then... Sark's attempts to get through would have been a failure, but they weren't. So Sark gets a bit of the doubt with developing another quarterback like he has done throughout his career. You can question his in-game acumen, how he manages games at the ends of halves, on the goal line, his play calling at times seems suspect. Under pressure, it feels like he uh, doesn't always step up to the challenge. But his ability to develop a quarterback 
should not be questioned. And it's why I probably shouldn't be hammering him so far so hard for throwing nine of the first time ten, uh, nine of the first ten plays in the BYU game. But I'm still gonna fucking do that because it was not a good idea. Even the best make well, mistakes, and he made a mistake in that situation. And again, all this is not me being like anti Quinn or anything like that for the opportunity that he got to develop. It's just me putting the perspective and the context around Malik Murphy's performance. And, you know, the, the dynamic of college football is just, especially at this level is just that you have to balance. And to your point of what Sark did last year, he had to balance the immediacy and and just importance that is put on every single game in college football, especially at a place like Texas at this level, a fan base, a program that's just been dying to get back to national relevance. He has to balance or last year had to balance the development of a young quarterback with who actually tomorrow might give us the best chance to just win one game, you know, and I think he played that right because we've seen it. We have seen a different Quinn Ewers come out this year. And, you know, until he got hurt, we were seeing a quarterback that was significantly better. And yep. you're totally, you're totally right. You, you can say what you want about the guy's play calling and look, people will always question play calling no matter what the best coaches of all time will be questioned for play calling. If they call plays on whatever side of the ball is their specialty. Like that's just what fans do. We will always do it. It's what media will do. Um, but yeah, you're right. There is, he's, he's un, undoubtedly, an unbelievable developer of talent at the quarterback position. So, um, and again, deserves credit for being able to hold on to these guys here. And, um, and also now to put in the, put in the dynamic and the situation decision-making of who gives you the best chance to just win one game that now this season becomes so much more important because you are playing for something bigger than you were last year. So it's clear that, and Sark gets to see this. He knows more. He knows more than all of us do. He is smarter at football than all of us. Like we know that. You know, it's our jobs as fans and media, and our right to quest to question him on certain things. But we're not watching practice. If he thought Arch Manning gave him the best chance to win the game Saturday, Arch Manning would be playing. Like, yeah, there's a little bit of long game and expectation management because he's a Manning. But if he thought at this point in time Arch was that much better. 16 would be in the game. Don't you think? <laughs> I I don't I don't know. Yeah. I think that while he says that he operates on meritocracy, I think at times he does operate on the guy who has put the most work in gets the next opportunity. Well, I, I but he didn't do that with Jonathan Brooks. A bit of that, and I also believe here's where it becomes concerning for me. It's not just about who gives you the best chance to win that next game. It's what gives you the best chance to win that next game. And I think he gets so laser focused and I get this because I'm more of a big picture guy than I am a little picture in the moment. However you want to refer to the, uh, the other side of that coin Yeah, gets too focused on the big picture in ways where he completely neglects to take care of the task at hand and the task at hand is winning the game and setting your team up well enough to win the next game too. That's where it gets worrisome for me. It's like, yeah, you wanted to get Malik Murphy comfortable, but was it really the best idea to throw nine of the first time 10 times against BYU? Because you just said in your press conference that it was a bad idea to run eight of the first 10 times against BYU. So 
you went to the other extreme. There's a gray area here that your quarterback and your team would have been better off executing had you just scripted that in the first 15 plays of the game. But he didn't do that. And it's just another example that we have of Steve Sarkeesian, I don't know, weirdly being out of his element in, in certain situations that seem very obvious to many. Well, and again, to the, the point of managing all of the things that we're talking about, that's a huge part of this job, which is why when they, you know, a guy like Tom Herman, probably not ready to manage. Well, I think we saw, you know, likely wasn't ready to manage all of the different things that are in play, all the stuff you got, all the egos you got to massage, all the hands you got to shake, all those kind of things, you know, not just with this team, but just the overall part of the job. And, you know, CB, you know, brought up a possibility in the last comment of like, does Sark have an agreement with the Mannings about something? And, you know, things like that where, I mean, I don't necessarily agree with that, but like, but maybe, but conversations like that behind the scenes, not an agreement per se, but conversations where maybe the Mannings say, hey, you don't need to, you don't need to rush him in there. Yeah. Like, because you do have to block the noise out on that. You know, Malik Murphy turns the ball over twice before he comes back and plays better and throws two touchdowns later in the game. I mean, I can only, I, luckily I don't get service to check anything when I'm on the field down there. But like, I can only imagine, yeah, it's not good. But huh. yeah, you need, I, I don't know. And they need the fiber guy that was ruining my people's lives in the HOA apparently to come over and fiber <laughs> some, some Wi-Fi in there or whatever. Um, but yeah, that that's a huge part of this job. And I think it's that, you know, Stark's experience of being at Washington being at USC as the main guy and obviously those two very different experiences, but still big time programs. And then watching Nick Saban do it for two years at Alabama, um, I think are huge in, in hopefully helping him handle this the right way now, which who, who knows if we will, because like, again, to the point there's, there's so many things that are probably conversations had behind the scenes that, that we just are not privy to and never will be. Unless they make a 30 for 30 tray about the greatest college quarterback room of all time. <laughs> You're right that Tom Herman probably isn't very well suited to manage a Kendra Scott store, much less this Texas Longhorn football program. Steve Sarkeesian, like between the two, I would pick Steve Sarkeesian to manage this program versus Tom Herman. But even with the experience he has, out on the West Coast and then watching Nick Saban do things, I still question whether he has the chops to be a full-on effective head coach and offensive play caller here at Texas. And it's fair. One thing, one is getting one response, one set of responsibilities is getting in the way of the other at times, it feels like. And it's like yeah, he wants yeah. to be the ultimate quarterback developer, but sometimes that feels like it's at the expense of doing what the offense needs to in order to find success in a given moment and therefore help his team win a game. And even Trey offensive play calling and overall game management are two, like they're two different things. Like to your, what you were saying earlier, a couple of seconds ago about the, you know, idea of the, the big picture and then the, sh the shorter term, long-term, short-term that's almost two different ideas of that within a game, like within obviously the short term of a game, there's kind of the broader longer term over the course of a game of the game management that a head coach is supposed to be responsible for. And then also, you know, the, the play calling 
the, the actually just play by play play calling, which would be more of the short term, I guess. And trying to do both of those things at a really high level is, is difficult. And I think that the two turnovers for Malik, the common theme there was they came out of like, a, I think a break in play on both of them. And there was just like miscommunication. They were out of rhythm. Obviously the, the snap on the pick hits him in the stomach and he just panics. Um, two offensive linemen just completely miss responsibilities on the fumble. And he's, by the time he spins around, he's got an offensive lineman in his face blowing the play up. So, um, and then also to, to be fair to our guy CB here, I wasn't saying that CB was uh, necessarily being literal with that, but I guess I was going off of that more in terms of the conversations that are had behind closed doors that we just aren't privy to about maybe it's no secret that Arch Manning, that the Mannings or Arch Manning picked Texas because they knew he wouldn't be forced into a situation in his first year here where he was having to start games. That's not to say that they don't feel like it wouldn't be beneficial to him to be getting time in a game where there is mop-up duty to be had. But I guess we also have to think about it like this too, Jeff. They were a game away from getting to play Arch Manning every game going forward if they want to and not have to worry about burning his red shirt. Which, oh, is this, you're saying at this point that's where they're yeah, at now? If, they, if yeah. they played him on Saturday, which they could have. The opportunity was there, and the backups were in pretty much everywhere else on the field, including Jaden Blue, who had that nice touchdown run at the end of the game. Good good for him seeing that. Yeah. I was actually sitting right next to his mom nice. at the game. Really nice lady. Uh, but uh, so so th- there was an opportunity for Arch Manning to go into that game. Uh, my guess is that they saw that as the last game that they could keep him out of and then play him in every game going forward if they wanted to. And also, I understand what Sark was saying about with the struggles that they had in the red zone and some of the funky out of rhythm stuff and the turnovers that they wanted to go. They wanted Malik Murphy and the rest of that offense to just kind of get a little more rhythm together, even if it was just running the ball and chewing clock and then punting it or whatever, you know, or getting Jaden Blue a touchdown. I think just any more of those snaps that he could get were, were going to be huge. And if Malik Murphy is going to be the true starter moving forward until Quinn comes back, I understand Sark wanting to do that. And even for next week, too, knowing that you have a much more difficult opponent and a much more meaningful game because of that, um, where you're going to want Malik Murphy to feel as comfortable as possible. But again, Trey, like you said, now they really don't even have to worry about the red shirt, which I don't think they're that worried about anyway, because if he's as good as we think, even if he even if he stays four years and doesn't have a red shirt, like the dude's Arch Manning's not going to be in Austin for five years, you know? I don't really think it's a huge conversation, but yeah, it would not have worried me as much either. But I, I also understand why those guys are trying to manage that because you can never predict. And so to have that extra year at your disposal, if you absolutely need it, is it's understandable. But I'm, yeah, I would agree with you. Like it, that would be less of a concern for me versus seeing an opportunity because there aren't any guaranteed opportunities the rest of the way. Like they're not going to blow Kansas State out, or if they do freaking great it's going to be a fun week of shows next week but the likelihood that he gets in against kansas state unless there's an injury is pretty slim a look at what um you know kansas state's doing with avery johnson and will howard not saying texas is going to do that but now there's nothing holding you back from if you want to of just throwing him in there with a package of plays or whatever it may be right see zay in the waiting room we'll bring him on now Chip and Zay. What's up, Zay? How you doing? Doing well. Great show today. Thanks, sir. Thank you. And I know that you guys are going to be talking a ton of Texas football coming up. 
How was your weekend, Zay? Any uh, any great shakes? Uh, it was smooth, man. Uh, taking my first fantasy football L of the year, which I need that. I need to be humbled, you know, going 7-0. <laughs> and 0. It's something about going undefeated and then losing first round of the playoffs. That doesn't sit well with me. And I feel like that's kind of the trajectory I was going on. So now that I've lost, if I do lose in the playoffs, you know, Justin Jefferson was my number one pick. There's a lot of shit that's going on for me to be 7-0. and So I'm humbled. I'm back down to earth. I needed that, man. Sometimes you need that, fellas. I am in the rare category of people who had an undefeated regular season, got the first round by, and then lost in the semifinals. It, <sighs> I knew it was going to happen, too. I was like, fuck, I needed to lose a game this year. Yeah, you almost get you almost get more nervous when you have a team like that in fantasy football where you're just like, oh, God, this could – this." This is setting up for me to just have absolute failure, you know, when I when I get to the the playoffs finally. Well, that was the yeah, year that yeah. I took Todd Gurley number one overall, and he got hurt at the end of the year. And God, who was it? Big fat running back came in for the Rams and was great, and I didn't get him on the waiver wire. And that was the difference for me. Yeah. Who's, God, who was the big fat running back for LA? He was really good for the last couple of games for them. Oh, it wasn't man. the one they had rolling out Hendrickson. That we saw yesterday because he's been there for a little bit. And no, it wasn't Daryl Henderson. Cam Akers, by the way, scoring touchdowns in Minnesota now. That guy is just he's like a cockroach, running back cockroach. He's uh he's just gonna find new lives elsewhere. I would love to understand what what happened with him in LA. Weird, because they gave him all the chances in the world. He suffered what was it, an Achilles injury one year? Yeah. And he came back pretty quickly from that, but he just, he was never the same player. He didn't have that burst anymore. But Sean McVay gave him every opportunity to win that well, job well, back. And I, I covered his high school career when I was in Jackson. That's still to this day. Maybe Garrett Wilson might be above him, but one, one A, one B of like guys that I've seen and kind of covered in high school. And of course, like he was the best player in all of Mississippi. And I think he was number, number one or two running back in the country. And, he did not like there were no he's a great kid like parents were great great family like didn't seem like a guy that would have you know any off the field issues not that he did but or any like issues with with coaches like I didn't get any of that and it seems like there there must have been some disconnect there hmm. somebody so else on, your, on this uh now one loss team Zay say what say that again who else is now is on this uh now one loss team for you um AJ Brown, who's looking like the best wide receiver in the league right now. I yeah. mean, I know he doesn't get enough credit. That dude, he's an absolute problem. And him, him and Jalen Hurts, they definitely got something working there. So he's been helping your boy out a lot. Um, Justin Herbert, you know, our league's a little different. So quarterbacks get majority of the points, which it's a quarterback league, so I think they should. But, yeah, Justin Herbert, even though he doesn't necessarily win the big game and he did what he had to do yesterday, that dude gets a lot of yards, man. They throw a ton down there with the Chargers and him and Kellen Moore are still figuring things out. But, yeah, Justin Herbert's been good for me. My tight end, that's a little sketchy. Yeah, I got Darren Waller and that dude. The best thing he's done is bad Kelsey Plum, the basketball player. That's the best thing he's done. You know what I'm saying? Like that dude, he's just too talented to be this inconsistent. And given you got Daniel Jones at your quarterback and then Tyrod Taylor, which Tyrod Taylor actually looked for Darren Waller. The dude's like 6'6", an athletic freak. But 
just kind of like the rest of those wide receiver core at you know in New York they just don't seem to stay consistent and he ended up getting hurt for me so I might have to do some waiver wire finessing or try to trade somebody and grip them on that but yeah I really don't know how I'm seven and one at this point I it's it's crazy I had a lot of luck a lot of good matchups you know but other than that I just kind of stay in the course man how about how about the Giants uh backup quarterback I mean on third string quarterback like between um what was his name Tommy DeVito and then the dude <laughs> agent for the Bears I'm like these might be two of the most random ass quarterbacks I've seen in the NFL in a long time. Like Tommy DeVito looks like he's like straight out of the Sopranos. <laughs> if he could last as a backup quarterback, I don't know why in the world the Giants had Tommy DeVito as their backup. Maybe it's because he shared the name of Joe Pesci's character in Goodfellas. Like there's no good reason. They, they didn't trust the guy to throw the football down the field. They're lucky that, Saquon Barkley is as good as he is. He's, you know, he had an injury a, a couple of games ago that that kept him out for a few weeks, and they they basically had to ride him just to get into overtime to have a chance to win that game. Yeah, Brian Dayball, talk about frustration. Like I've never seen anybody as frustrated as him after a loss. Like it's every time they lose, he throws his headset down in disgust and. You know, he has that weird line that you and I talk about, Trey, of, of being a head coach and then also just having that meathead coordinator like mentality. And it's just a weird mix. Like when things go well, it's like, oh, Brian Dayball, he's terrific. You know, Josh Allen, they missed him over there at Western New York and all this other bullshit. And then he does weird things like kind of – I don't know, cuss his players out on the sideline. And you're like, bro, you can't show up your players. That's what you do in the locker room. I get it. Like, there's a point in time where you have to get after them. But also, like, he shows them up to where it could be a little embarrassing and emasculating. And I'm like, dude, whatever. Like, y'all are the Giants. You got to build your program and your own philosophy. I don't know if he's doing it the right way, especially with Daniel Jones. Zay, him, him chucking the iPad. Daniel, who put Icy Hot in Daniel Jones's jock strap? Ah, Dable's at it again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I'm I'm telling you, man, him, him him chucking the iPad like on Monday night football at Daniel Jones. I'm just like that. I, I'm with you, Zay. Like there's some guys that get, and I'm actually I'm this way, Trey knows I'm this way with Justin Herbert as as just being thrown in as this elite quarterback. God, don't even get me started on Brandon Staley. Trey's going to mute my mic if I start going on another Brandon <laughs> Staley rant. Um, but, like, the coach version of that to me is is Dable. Where I'm like, when did we – like, I know he's he got the, the Giants – he got an average Giants team to the playoffs last year um, out of a good division, you know, again, going against the Cowboys and the Eagles. And, I mean, obviously Washington's – they had a decent team last year. But, so yeah, some of, some of the shit that he does, I'm totally with you, like – that's not that's not head coach behavior, man. Like, and and some of the decision making too. Like in that Buffalo game, like some of the mismanagement of the game, and I'm like, yeah, eh, like, like miss me with crowning this guy a little too early. Yeah, I really hope people aren't 
claiming that the Chargers are back now that they just beat a really bad Bears team with a backup quarterback. <laughs> it was an authoritative win, I get that, but it's still the Brandon Staley-led L.A. Chargers. With just I got home from work. Banged up finger. I got home from work last night, Trey, and the I turned on the TV, and the first thing I had to see was freaking Brandon Staley's face on the TV, and I was like, way to ruin a great weekend. And then it wasn't even a game. Brandon Staley and Justin Herbert getting the most fraudulent primetime standalone win of all time. <laughs> Sunday night football is enjoyable, mostly to hear Chris Collinsworth orgasm over the most average people on the field. Yo, don't uh, sleep on Carrie Underwood, man. I got to see that leg every week. Oh, it's man. only one leg. She has, it's like it's like she has a leg sleeve, like what Hoopers wear. Yeah, has. She's only showing off one leg. And I'm like, I thought you had two good ones. It don't matter. You're still fine as hell. I'm good for it. Oh, Sunday night. I got to watch that. With my wife sitting right next to me. I could care less. Like, she's that entertaining. Like, that's the one of the best parts about Sunday night, which NBC, they've always done it right. Like, y'all remember back in the basketball days? You remember that, Trey? Oh, yeah. Yeah, man. NBC, they always do it right. Always have, man. Best intros. You know who composed that? You know who composed that song, Zay? Who? John Tesh. Huh. John Tesh, the former entertainment tonight. Uh, desk. Why, why can I not think of the name, Jeff? Desk person, host, host of entertainment. Oh, Jesus, uh, entertainment tonight. Host composed that when he was covering the Tour de France. I interviewed him about it. It was a, it was a hilarious story. But yeah, John Tesh composed one of the uh, the most recognizable sports themes of all time. I've never. Yeah. You guys are going to think I'm kidding, but I'm I'm not. I don't follow pop music. I never watched the intro to Sunday Night Football. Who? who Carrie Underwood, what does she look like? Excuse me? Carrie Underwood, what does she look like? Um, to me, she's one of the most beautiful women in the world. But, hey, we all have our own taste. All right, hold on. Look, I don't, I'm not a country guy. She makes me watch country and listen to what's going on. She makes me invested. Yes. And she has that hockey player husband, dude. Oh, yeah. He, oh, yeah. You were... You were you were talking about you were talking about watching that with with the wife. I uh, I, I pulled a move that, that Trey and I have talked about where the you know she's like oh let's watch the game and the game is so bad and unwatchable that I try to just push it down the line of like you know I gotta I gotta take the L tonight and I throw out the like just watch a movie you know I just there we go watch watch a show build build some goodwill later on when I want to watch like like seven straight hours of football that's. That's how bad that game was last night. Like I got home at halftime and I was just like, I'm done. I'm done with this. Yeah. Unfortunately, I've got fantasy implications on the line tonight. So I'm going to have to keep half an eye on the Monday night game while actually watching the Rangers D-backs game three. Oof. That's going to be a stressor. Chip Brown, what up? What's up, fellas? Yo. I love it. I roll up. And we're talking about Carrie Underwood, baby. The <laughs> boy Zay's losing it over here. Yo, Trey doesn't know who she was, really, or doesn't know what she looks like. Trey's lying. Cute. I just looked up a picture. She's cute. cute. Trey's lying. She's got the best legs. <laughs> this side of. What was that? 
Usually we leave with Trey's birthday theme background. I figured out somebody set something on my computer to force the balloons, and I've figured out all the different buttons that I can press to enter and leave video conversations with. So oh, that's terrific. Lasers, wow. confetti. Is that the Texas Big 12 Championship confetti? Oh. <laughs> yeah. Texas football is back, baby. <laughs> Oh my God! Right, guys, have a great show. Bye. See you guys. Yeah, yeah,